Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Every Horror Movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick, and I'm here again with Chris. Hello. And Steven. Hi. How are you guys holding up in quarantine hell world? Just fine. I'm doing great now that, well, we'll get into it. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like you were about to say now that you've finished watching five entire Final Destination movies. Yes, yes, now that I don't have that to deal with i'm doing great <laughs> yeah, we've been on a we've been on a fucking quest over the last uh two weeks here have you guys done anything besides watch final destination movies i've done tons of shit what have you been up to uh well i'm back on my horror bullshit you know oh, i was yeah. saying the last couple episodes that it's just it's too much for me with you know the amount of stress i'm under something kicked in me i'm leaning back into it i've been watching a ton of movies reading a lot a couple things i can recommend patrick you might want to talk about this too i watched the new ish shutter series cursed films yes pretty interesting journey not a lot of stuff in there that i didn't know but i appreciated the context it was framed in what did you think of it pretty interesting so far um Allison with a Y and I watched The Exorcist episode, and then we watched The Exorcist, the movie, right afterwards. And goddamn, I was impressed at how well that holds up. It's been probably 10 years at least since I've seen that, but still fucking rocks. And The Omen episode was also really interesting and kind of played right into my own skeptical views on the whole cursed film mythology. By the end, it just felt like a thesis statement on the whole cursed film concept that I totally agreed with. So I'm curious to see uh, where the other three episodes go. I feel like after the Omen episode, it's not really about curses anymore. It's just about horrible tragedies that have happened on film sets that unfortunately have been exploited by people trying to look too deeply into them. Yeah, I like that it appears to be trying to build sort of a larger narrative arc and a larger statement uh, or a larger examination of what uh, a cursed film is or, or the truth or lack thereof behind that whole concept. And that's been drawing me in as opposed to just like a series of five short documentaries going, Oh, here's all this fucking weird shit that happened related to this famous horror movie. Yeah. It's not a true Hollywood story. It doesn't have that kind of sleazy <laughs> yeah. vibe to it. It's much more nuanced. Yeah. A um, bunch of other things, but I guess the last one I'll plug because it's something, you know, it's not a, it's not a movie, but you can get this online. Um, Waxwork Records out of New Orleans has their own horror anthology comic series, and each of them comes with a 45 vinyl record. It has like the main House of Waxwork theme, and then there's a song for each of the comics. So it's been kind of fun to just like sit up late at night by candlelight and listen to this spooky music that's tailored to these sort of Tales from the Crypt-esque little um, little comic anthology stories. That sounds super fun. What about you guys? Anything else? Chris, I know you've been uh, back on your horror bullshit over the last week or two as well. Any highlights? Yeah, I really have been back on my horror bullshit. I've been watching a lot of stuff. I won't get into all the nitty-gritty because we have a lot to get to here. But of special interest to regular Amon listeners, I watched Pie Wacket, which is the follow-up to Backcountry from the <laughs> same director and writer, Adam McDonald. And I was looking forward to that because, as, as long-time listeners will know, I loved Backcountry. 
and Piwack it. I don't. I'm not sure if it's as good, uh, or it might be equally good in different ways. I don't know. Uh, it certainly held my attention, though. I would say cue it. What's What's the concept? What's the elevator pitch for Piwack it? It's on uh, it's on Hulu right now, so you can watch it on Hulu. It's about a girl who's got uh, some issues with her mother, and she's into the occult, and she tries to solve her problems with her mother through an occult ritual, but we all know how that goes. Nice. <laughs> well, I will throw in just one quick plug here. I uh, have been fairly consumed with Final Destination movies over the last couple weeks and haven't really gotten into much of anything else. But last night, I was just... kind of casually browsing the horror selection on HBO and happened upon this short film uh, called Hair Wolf. And it's uh, just 13 minutes long. And when this episode comes out, it's only going to be on HBO for one more day. So if you hear this, uh, the day this episode comes out and have HBO run out and check this shit out. It's a, uh, it's a horror short that takes place in a black beauty shop and the owners and, and patrons of the shop are uh, beset by an invasion of zombie-like white people who want to participate in and, and kind of suck the life out of the black culture associated with the shop. It's just fucking delightful. It's visually really striking, uh, has some great old-school horror elements to it, and you know has great you know kind of political edge to it so highly recommend that i was i was gonna say that sounds like a movie that has themes yes oh yeah yeah does it sound too a24 for you chris (laughs) no (laughs) that might be a good segue actually so speaking of things that uh will not be on streaming for much longer after this episode airs i think (laughs) we might have cheated death's design (laughs) because all four of the final destination movies will be leaving in uh Early At the May? end of May, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so people have some time. So if you want to watch along, hurry out to Netflix because you only got about a month more to watch them. That said, they were also on Netflix about six months ago and then they disappeared and then came back. So I don't think it's going to be long until they return again. Look, if you want to find them, you can find them, even if not on Netflix. They just yeah. kind of float from streaming service to streaming service. Exactly. I have a friend who's a Final Destination fan, and she just bought the whole series on Blu-ray, I think, for like $11, too. So it's oh, a fair yeah. price. This isn't Criterion Collection we're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's get into it. I mean, if you haven't gotten the hint yet, we are reviewing every Final Destination movie ever today. Four of them are on Netflix right now. That's the first four. And then the fifth one is available on Hulu. We figured we'd just knock them all out, even though they're not all on Netflix. Uh, this is kind of inspired by our Every Halloween Movie Ever episode that we did uh, probably a year and a half ago now, I guess, which continues to be one of our most popular episodes. I mean, no surprise. So we're about to take you on this journey. We're cutting the usual spoiler room bullshit. If you haven't seen these movies and don't want to be spoiled, don't listen to this episode. Go watch whichever ones you need to, because we're going to get into everything. Yes, and and I think we're you know maybe I will be getting some uh, hate mail uh, on this one, and people will be saying you're not a real horror fan because I love the Final Destination movies. Because I'll just say right off the bat, I had a really hard time with this run of movies. Interesting. Why? So look, when you when you go into a franchise, you're not expecting a horror franchise especially. You're not expecting every installment to be great. You know that there's going to be some bad movies in there. That's part of the deal. That's fine. But 
as opposed to like what we did with Halloween, these movies do not reward you for having watched the earlier installments. There's no none of that like soap opera continuity that I appreciate in Halloween or Saw or any of these other franchises or even Friday the Thirteenth from what I know of it. Mm-hmm. It's just the same story over and over again pretty much beat for beat but they explain everything to you over again they're incredibly formulaic the characters are almost without exception completely disposable by design i mean the 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 kill sequences which is the main draw of the franchise are usually entertaining but you know the the connective tissue is is so weak for most of this franchise that it's just kind of interminable so i will agree with that to a certain point um the weakest installments in this franchise for me are those that just seem as though they're following the formula not making any effort to create characters that we care about and not creating any connective tissue but there's definitely connective tissue between one and two there's definitely connective tissue between one and five three and four are kind of weird ass islands unto themselves but there's i think there's more there than you're suggesting at least it's not substantive though no like the, the like you get callbacks to things that happen in other movies particularly death sequences which are i mean understandably pr- pretty fetishized even within the films themselves but there's nothing like really thematically going on to link any of these together well no but i think that might be what chris is saying yeah but also i think no one is coming to this franchise for substance or theme you know i mean you're coming this is the ultimate i described the other day when we were texting as like the ultimate theme park ride franchise you know you're just there for the fucking thrill Yes, and and that's fine, and and so let me let me backpedal a little bit because I know that some of our listeners are going to be very upset uh, at, at people talking <laughs> bad about these movies, and I understand why that is because if you know you uh, went to high school and you went to the movie theater with your high school friends and you didn't want to like pay attention too closely to the movie and you wanted to see some gnarly and sensational uh, and and gory death sequences and you know maybe you had a honey with you and maybe you were making out during the talky parts this is probably you probably have great memories of this franchise and that's great because this is the, the franchise is clearly designed for like a teenage audience to just go to the theater and just have a good time and then forget about it as soon as they walk in the parking lot and and that's fine well see i had not seen these as a teenager i actually just started watching them for the first time um but i overall enjoyed my experience with the franchise but i mean i i think we should get into the the nitty-gritty and start kind of breaking down movie by movie here right and and it may be because of how i watch these movies where you know i i kind of had to watch them for the show and i was watching them in quick succession (laughs) Um, yeah that made it that made it a lot more uh painful than if i watched them when they were all released because there's some significant i mean the first one came out in 2000 and then the last one came out in 2011 so we're talking about five movies over 11 years so Mm. plenty of time for you to you know forget what happened in the last time last one and maybe you do need that that extra exposition in every movie that 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 wore me so thin so would you view it cute or screw it well we'll get to that but yeah let's dive let's dive into these uh chronologically here so we, we begin with final destination from 2000 the one that started it all which i described in my notes as the plain one actually i just described these all by the the inciting incident. oh i did too yeah <laughs> i did too except the last one the last one is like a little bit stranger and more like amorphous, but for the others, it's like uh, yeah, you got a plane, you got a roller coaster, yeah, uh, you've got a a highway. 
I mean, for those who maybe haven't seen these movies and don't care to watch them, the basic setup is there's always a massive accident at the beginning of each movie where a bunch of people die in a horrifying way. And then our protagonist kind of flashes back. He has just experienced this whole accident as a premonition and all of a sudden realizes that something, this horrible thing's about to happen. He warns a certain group of people, certain people listen to them. And then, you know, five or six people get away from the accident and then death pursues them and kills them in horrible ways while the people attempt to escape death's curse. Horrible and improbable ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of the the broad strokes. That's what each of these movies is. The first one, uh, we've got a bunch of high school seniors who are going on a class trip to Paris. And, you know, one of them has a vision as they get on the plane that it's going to crash. A few of them manage to get off the plane for various reasons and realize over the course of film, they've, they've cheated death and death is going to come back for them one by one in the order in which they would have died on the plane. Yes. Yeah. Pretty and- simple. You know, I was actually really interested to watch Final Destination because of its X-Files lineage, um, yes. because it was originally written as a spec script for the X-Files in the 90s, kind of in the heyday of the X-Files, and it was ultimately developed by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who were prolific writers in the early seasons of the X-Files, and later mm-hmm. went on to kind of sh- uh, co-showrun Millennium, which is a kind of a X-Files adjacent series starring Lance Henriksen that I'm a fan of. Um, all shot in Vancouver. All actually, this this movie actually had the same cinematographer as as a lot of Millennium, so hmm. uh, it, it looks very familiar, and, and it's definitely sort of an X Files kind of concept. And that first half hour where they're on the plane and the premonition happens and they get off and the plane explodes, it it feels like an X Files cold open kind of just does. stretched out to a half hour. And so I was like, oh, great, let's let's see where it goes from here. And the amazing thing is that this actually began life. This whole franchise began life as this. Jeffrey Reddick's spec script for an X-Files episode and the original script for the X-Files episode version of this movie I learned just before we started recording this is actually online we'll throw that in the show notes I started reading it before we started recording here and it was interesting it's interesting to see Scully and Mulder folded into this whole story and I'm curious to finish reading that but and I it's, could it's, see it's perfect it, X-Files I, setup I, as an X-Files fan, I could see the X-Files episode playing out as I watched this movie. And, you know, there's even Devin Sawa, who's kind of the main character here and kind of the last survivor. Oh, hey. <laughs> he uh, he even has a, a very Mulder-esque monologue where he's like, what if this? And what if death did this? What if <laughs> It's like, this is, sounds like something Mulder would say when he's, he's spitballing, you know, death design theory or whatever. Well, you want to know something crazy about that spec script. I have not read it, but I read an, an interview with the writer. Apparently, the original concept was pretty different. Um, like the script that he wrote for the X-Files in that script the characters who escape death are all driven to suicide because of the guilt for having done so. Oh, which like I, that's yeah. a lot less fun. <laughs> it's way less fun. Can you imagine the entire movie is just a series of suicide sequences? That sounds miserable. Yeah. That's definitely not fun. Not fun at all. Oh, I prefer, yeah, I prefer it this way. And you know, so the, this movie, um, it, you know, it's a very original concept, and it's a fun concept, and at its best, uh, I think this Final Destination movie, the first one, uh, it's, it's a good little horror thriller. 
it's everything I, you expect out of like a, a like a teen horror movie from 2000. You got the David Fincher esque title sequence. <laughs> you've got hot. You've got hot teens. You've got gloomy cinematography. You've got lots of blood and guts, dude. Yeah, zero morals. <laughs> Can I comment on that title sequence because this is a convention of like the first, I think, three at least movies. The title uh-huh. sequence is long as fuck. It's three minutes of just names on the screen and different shots of things in uh, the main character. I forget is uh, Alex. Alex's uh, room, and it's it's so dull. Yeah, oh, but Patrick, they're all clues. It. They're all really? clues. <laughs> Got to be I paying attention. Wrote- I actually wrote in my notes two things. I miss New Line Cinema, and I yeah. miss opening title sequences. Hmm. Oh, I do too, 100%. Oh, yeah, I was... like, yeah, give me that, you know? People are still filing into the theater. It's a teen movie. Everyone's going to walk in 20 minutes late anyway. And so, yeah, <laughs> you just have some, like, moody shots of, like, the desk fan, and it says, Devon Sawa. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you make a good sure, case, but I was bored to tears by these title sequences, sequences in the first couple of movies. I mean, of course, the movies make up for it because there's fucking some insane bullshit happening every five or ten minutes you know but the it it felt interminable to me they were long i'll give it that and i didn't particularly enjoy them as they were but like chris is saying it it does make me nostalgic for an era era when there was a lot of thought put into the title sequence yeah and you got you got shirley walker doing the music yeah close your eyes and pretend it's batman yeah (laughs) yeah I mean, we have not yet gotten to what I feel is the most important part of this film and perhaps one of the most important characters and elements of the entire franchise, Clear Rivers. I fucking love this character. She's one of the only characters in the entire franchise who actually seems like a real human being and who you actually give a fuck about. Um, But goddamn, I think this girl's a badass and I just enjoy her her presence. Played by uh, Allie Larder. Clear Rivers is a uh, practically an orphan. Her her dad is dead and I think her mom ran off and she's basically living by herself in a big house. She's into making uh, bizarre sculptures in her garage welding shop. She fucking welds. She's wanna, a welder. I want to live in that garage. It is so fucking cool to see oh, her yeah. set up and all of her weird art artifacts surrounding her. She's semi goth. She she she's into, <laughs> into creepy stuff. She's the kind of girl who will just take you and and you can will take you on a little date to break into the mortuary to look, <laughs> look at the morgue. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, she's. Uh, we were gonna. Do, we were talking about how we were gonna have a favorite character rundown as part of this episode, but I think but, we're all in agreement that Clear Rivers is not only the best character, but she's the only character in any of these five movies. That, that's exactly what I said to Patrick the other night. I mean, okay, there is one. One other, I mean, I, I guess he's not a, a full-fledged character, but one other piece of connective tissue I forgot about is that Tony Todd is in yes. all but one of these movies as William Bloodsworth. Oh my god, I didn't <laughs> I realize that was name. his character's name. <laughs> it's either Bloodworth or Bloodsworth, but it's spelled with a U. It's totally absurd, but he's, he's our... Uh, kind of mysterious like sort of stand in for the grim reaper in these movies and i found his performance really enjoyable he's yeah. our exposition dealer if you're not a tony todd fan you will be a tony todd fan if you watch five final destination movies because it feels like you're just watching a different movie when he's on the screen he's so compelling and just so much more interesting than any of what's going on around him in these movies charismatic Agreed. spooky tony todd of Candyman fame i guess 
guess we should throw in for anybody who may not recognize that name right off the top, uh, right off the tip of the tongue. I mean, he he is Candyman, and he is a delightfully campy, sort of malevolent presence who is never explained what his fucking like who who he is or what his role is in all this. But he shows up in I think four of the five movies to basically explain I, what's going yes. on to the character. I have to interrupt point. you because you said Candyman twice and. Please oh yeah, we got to put a lockdown on that. Yeah, if we get to five, we're fucked. Okay, yeah. I'll keep that in we're mind. We're not going to do that. Uh, well, gonna we know that he's, he's he's like the coroner who who shows up to collect the dead bodies. But what his connection is to the beyond, to death, no clue. He's really he's don't death's care. hype man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically, he's the flavor flav of the the hip hop group that is death. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, Chris, what you said, though, about the uh, our, our favorite character. So, I mean, later later in the process, I'm going to weigh in on a couple of characters who I did actually enjoy. There, there were more who I related to than I expected to. Let's put it that way. But Claire Rivers is the clear winner. And another important note about her is her name is not Claire. It's clear. Which I C-L-E-A-R, thought for the entire movie. <laughs> which is insane. Like, who came up with that? Well, her par- I get the sense, you know, her, you know, like her mom ran off. Like she's got kind of a shaky upbringing. I get the sense that her parents were like, you know, acid freaks in the in the sixties mm. and seventies. Like she has a very boho sort of look to her and her living space. So it sort of makes sense. But it was really fucking bizarre to me to get all the way through the first movie and see that her name was Clear and not Claire. Yeah, insane. Maybe she just named herself after her family fell apart. So we have to kind of keep the train moving here because we got four other movies still to talk about. But I mean, we have not talked about death scenes yet. Did any in this film? I mean, death scenes are the bread and butter of this whole franchise. So we might as well discuss them. Were there any in this movie that really stood out to you guys? Yes. So so this movie has the advantage of not having really established all the tropes of the final destination series so there's still a bit more suspense and it, you know the things that happen kind of uh engage you a little bit more mm-hmm. and um i thought the teacher i forget uh who what her name was oh it's uh, that this is great her this name is, is valerie or val luton after the the famous horror producer from the 40s and 50s oh okay great yeah. um well she's played by Kristen cloak who uh, uh became a co-lead on millennium and she's actually married to glenn morgan oh. um she, she also had a guest role on the X-Files, but so I'm fam- familiar with her from there and I see her and I'm like, okay, so she's, she's, uh, a, the teacher who was leading the class trip. She kind of has an interesting, um, story and the character is kind of interesting. You know, she kind of put another teacher back on the plane to die and she's conflicted about that. And I'm like, all right, so there's some, there's some sign here that she might actually be a character who's important and who survives. And, uh, though her death sequence just kind of toys with you in all these ways. She's yes. in her house. She's making coffee. She's making tea. There's all these misdirections. She's, You're like, oh God, how is she going to die? Well, is she going to die? And then she ends up dying uh, in kind of a creative fashion, but like just she gets it pretty bad she gets like what she gets a a a glass shard from her computer monitor through her neck and then she stumbles into the kitchen but like slips and then there's fire everywhere on her and she ends up burning in the house it's just it's just the whole kitchen sink the way she ultimately dies it's wild and it's like the prototype for the the best death scenes in this franchise to me are the ones where 
they just set up multiple things that fucking just have you kind of grabbing the edges of your seat and going, oh my God, is she going to step on that thing? Is that thing going to explode? And you don't know how it's all going to play out. And in the end, at least to me, at least to my sick sense of humor, I'm always sort of delighted to see what it is that actually does trigger the death. Oh my God. I was, I like during the best sequences and this is one of them, I'm screaming because it's also hilarious. (laughs) Like innately to me, like seeing household objects, just like brave little toaster style, take out a life (laughs) of their own and conspire to kill people is one of the funniest things ever for me. It turns out I'm, Hmm. I'm actually, it's the one reason I'm glad I had to sit through and watch this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the best deaths in this franchise are the ones that invite you to try to guess what's going to happen. Well, and I also love how this movie starts to play with the paranoia that in, that it inspires in the characters and in the viewer. You know, there's this sequence towards the end where they go to this cabin to, like, try and hide out from death. And they're, like, pre- prepping the accident-proof cabin. They've got plastic spoons and gloves to protect themselves. And there's, like, a sudden threat of death from a rusty fish hook. And it's it's just delightful. You know, it plays into paranoia in a pretty, like just a chill way i don't know there are movies that play on my paranoia because i'm a fairly paranoid person in ways that actually cause me anxiety but this this franchise kind of makes me laugh at my own anxiety and my own paranoia because it's like wow you're fucking ridiculous you think this thing in the corner might potentially injure or kill you like that's insane i want to get into this though because i i felt the same way i felt like it's a great I mean, horror is generally a great outlet for fear and anxiety. There have been so many moments, as deeply fucking stupid as these movies are, there have been so many moments in my waking life after watching any one of them where I've, like, looked at, like, gotten anxious on the freeway driving into work, thinking that, like, a logging truck is going to come out in front of me, Uh or, like, oh, maybe I left the stove on, and there's the thing next to the stove that could explode, and, like, I come up with these Rube Goldberg contraptions for my own death in, like, an Mm. instant... and then I then I, I step back and laugh at myself. It's- <laughs> <laughs> I was uh you know using the toaster oven last night, and as I was like turning it on, I could see the toaster oven like through the lens of like it was like I was watching it on the screen in the Final Destination movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you know actually I've been doing that too in my in my everyday life with my cats. I'm like, all right, so how is this thing that the cat's gonna playing with right now going to Rube Goldberg every object into my house into making something fall over and kill a cat? <laughs> um, but no, and and I, I think we can linger on this a little bit because kind of the whole conceptual basis for the franchise resides in this first film. Um, I don't think the other ones add much to the to the formula or, or at least the thematic um, basis. But you know, it's 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 a it's a resonant concept. It's you know, yeah. The the thing that there's a part in this movie that really made an impression on me, where I think it's Alex talking, and he says, you know, we all uh, understand and usually accept that we're going to die someday, but we are also day to day extremely confident that today's not that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why? There's no reason. Anyone can go at any time. Yeah. Um, and and that's a horrifying thought and so that's that's you know good horror plays on things that you actually should be anxious about and and huh. so thematically final destination works for me just on playing on everyone's anxiety about death and the uncertainty that it could be today 
And it could be as dumb as that thing that you just inadvertently dropped on the way back into your apartment. I'm conflicted on this. I I think I wrote down after in my notes after every one of these movies, like what are what is the moral compass of these movies? Like what what are they really digging into? And then I realized like oh I'm thinking too deeply about this. It, these are these movies are simply about the fear of death, and I'm not really afraid of death. So I like the, these movies didn't scare me. I guess I can understand why they would like freak someone who who is more I don't know who who is more afraid of their own mortality or like a, a you know a teenager going into these movies and they've never like thought about this stuff before or had a loved one die. But in each movie, I thought of like a deeper theme that could have been mined that would stem from the fear of death. But the reason I said I'm conflicted about this is that I think that would make these movies kind of suck well and here's the thing is i don't think it's necessarily meant to be scary so much as just to play upon discomfort with pain you know i mean allison with a y has been holed up with me during quarantine and she was like fuck no i'm not watching any of those movies you know she i mean she loves horror but she doesn't like the way it just lingers over the Uh. the pain and discomfort that people are experiencing and so i think the horror what little horror I think there really is to be gleaned from these movies comes from just that idea of dying in horrifying pain because everybody's demise is like pretty gruesome and gross and it just plays on like you know wow I might be fucking ripped to pieces by a ceiling fan or whatever it is you know it's not necessarily like that oh my god somebody's following me or or there's a demon in the in the corner of my room it's it just kind of plays on that fear of pain i think more than anything it's very i like the way you put that and that makes this revelation i'm about to give you make a lot more sense to me because i thought it was kind of bizarre at first clive barker was the first person attached to direct this and now that i'm thinking about that angle of being uncomfortable with pain and kind of like towing that line kind of perfect (laughs) That is fascinating. I that I want to see that. I want to see Clive Barker's Final Destination. Oh hell yeah! Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know. I think there's a little bit more going uh, going on in this very first film where they're trying to kind of study death uh, in from a variety of angles, and you have some things like Clear Rivers talking about you know, is there another universe out there where my dad didn't you know he skipped the cigarette stop and he's still alive, and what does my life look like in that? And you know, you, every now and then in the franchise you get a character who like thinks he's going to kill himself or he's going to do something like 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 he handles the inevitability of death in a in a different way than everybody else and and mm-hmm. and i don't know that those moments are the most interesting moments to me um mm. but yeah i agree that by and large it's a, it's a dumb franchise that just wants to kill some people and, and and get you to laugh at it absolutely well there's one more element to it that i that i want to set up in this in this discussion of this first film there's something that i found to be a common thread among every film in this franchise which is that every final destination movie has a really bizarre sense of humor. There are attempts at comedy that, at least for me, not only landed flat. I don't, okay, for example, in, in, the, in the opening sequence, if I'm remembering this correctly, Devin Sawa and either his brother or his friend, I can't remember who, they're kind of talking about who they're going to bang on the on the trip to Paris and whatever. And the other guy who is not Devin Sawa just says out of nowhere, Todd, hey, let's who's go one take of the most shit. odious characters in this entire franchise. 
Yeah, he, Todd, he, who you might remember as the monster who can't stop eating brains in the classic season seven X Files episode, Hungry. Wow. <laughs> this this whole movie's a who's who of X Files. <laughs> But he just exclaims out of nowhere, hey, let's go take a shit. And they go and take a shit together because apparently they don't want to, like, go into the the airplane bathroom stall and come out smelling like shit afterward. But it just, it came out of nowhere and it wasn't funny, but I could tell that the screenwriter was, like, delighted with it. I cut it a break because I assumed that that was going to tie into the circumstances of them cheating death or, you know, getting killed one way or the other. But it didn't. No, not at all. But, um, you know, the beginning of this movie, like the beginnings of, I think, most of the movies in the franchise, does a really good job of kind of uh, putting you in that relatable space where you, you know, we've all been on a plane. I don't know about you guys, but every time I'm on a plane, I, I feel like I'm about to die. I'm not afraid to fly, but... I'm just resigned to the fact that, oh, I just might be dying today. And you get on the plane and like, you know, the, the things that you look at and the things that draw your attention and like, oh, you see some scorching on the wing. Like, is that supposed to be there? Uh. Like all the, all the little details that Alex notices in this movie are details I've noticed. And so I thought it did a superb job, probably better than any other of the, uh, the inciting events of any of the other movies of kind of putting you in a relatable space and being like, oh yeah, what, you know, this is actually a premonition, and, and I appreciated that. That was all good. Well, and it's an adequately harrowing depiction of a plane crash, too. I mean, the, the plane oh, crash yeah, feels pretty real. Yeah, it's it's probably the second best plane crash I've seen on film after the Gray. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's a good one. That. So, the I plane mean, crash sequence is like really fucking gnarly, especially because I've ne- I had. Well, I'd seen a couple of these movies before, but I didn't really remember the tropes. When it first happens, like, I thought it was real. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I know people have to survive this, but they're already in the air. How is that going to happen? And it just, it's it's shot in, like, a very, what I imagine is, like, a naturalistic way. Um, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the reveal that it's just a premonition is genius. Um, and it just doesn't hit the same in the next four movies because you know that it's going to do the same thing. Yeah. Sometimes multiple times in the same movie. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So before the reviews, I think we should just throw in a quick summary of just how this wraps up so we can kind of connect the plot threads. I mean, Clear, uh, Alex, and some other dude who I fucking forget who he even is at this point actually survive. They think they're okay. They go to Paris. And then a fucking big ass sign swings into the one guy whose name I don't remember and kills him yeah. and that's a pretty indelible yeah. image it's a good it's a good gotcha ending to the movie actually well i'll tell you what, what that made me think of uh, i mean first of all the, the the rules of the game change from movie to movie but in, in this first movie we're working under the assumption that if you intervene to, and save someone's life then it will like skip them and they'll be they'll be saved whatever it doesn't matter so yeah we end up with these three survivors and they're actually in paris you know like a year later or something, chilling, hanging out, having a good time. And then Alex just starts to get the feeling again. And he's looking over his shoulder and he's just expecting something to go wrong. And it kind of resonated with me in that it felt kind of quaint because in the age of pandemics and mass shootings, like I've been in cafes and like looked over my shoulder and been like, is someone just about to come in and kill us all right now? And I think that there's some anxieties just about what can go wrong in a public place now that we didn't have in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something a little bit uh, outdated, I think about some of that paranoia. I don't know about that. Hadn't Columbine happened by then? 
Yeah, but that that did not change the the zeitgeist of of what can go wrong to you in public the way the last decade has. Hmm. All right, I think I think there was still some of that there. Um, sure, but okay, I want to talk about this ending because you know it does the thing that pretty much any start to a horror franchise does. You kind of assume it's a franchise before you've even seen the movie sometimes with these teen horror films, but it's a pretty like. I don't know. I mean, it's a fun ending that it just ends on that death, but you know, it's set up for a sequel because others have survived and it just, it felt incomplete to me. I didn't feel there was any like emotional resonance in that final little gotcha moment. Oh yeah, no. for sure. I mean, like the first time I saw this, I was, I, I think I literally said, wait, that's it because there were still three yeah, people too. left. And there was, and even once you have that sudden death of whatever his name is, there's still clear and Alex left. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, and honestly, well, they were saving them for a sequel. And honestly, that's a, a recurring theme with this franchise. Is there's a lot oh, yes. of endings where it's just like, what? <laughs> what the fuck just happened? Well, when we move into number two, we can talk about my very favorite ending in the entire series. Yes. Oh, we're moving right now. Steven, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Final Destination 2000. Yeah, so I've got a whole ranking of these movies now that, you know, I've obviously seen all five of them. And, um, you know, in the order I would recommend them in. And I think uh, based on that, I'm going to give Final Destination 1 a cue it. It's it you know it's a fun it's a fun thrill ride especially if the concept is new to you you know it's got a lot of just late nineties early two thousands ridiculousness in it it's got Devin Sawa's adorableness uh, yeah cue it you know it's worth checking out if you're curious Chris I would give it a cue it this is the only one of the franchise that feels like a complete thought to me like an actual movie and that it actually has an interesting premise and is playing with it in interesting ways and actually has some ideas under the hood it's fine uh it's not gonna ruin your life if you skip it you probably have a pretty good sense of what the movie's like cue it it's fine patrick patrick I'm going to set a low bar for this whole franchise. I find it entertaining in general. And if you're thinking about watching one of these movies, like there's very few where I'm going to say, fuck this movie, don't watch it. I'm going to give this a view it. And just as a spoiler alert, probably going to give a few view it's out for this franchise going forward. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. I enjoyed it. Well, that's all right. It's a fun franchise. So so address your hate mail to Chris and Steven. (laughs) Uh, Hey, I gave it a cue it. I think that's pretty favorable. I gave it a cue it. Yeah, cue it is pretty healthy. Let's talk about Final Destination 2 Road Trip. Final Destination 2 begins with maybe the most sensational and probably my favorite opening sequence in the whole franchise. Uh, And if you've ever been in a car crash, like, be warned. (laughs) It is a close tie for me between two and five but this is a pretty wild and and nicely put together everything that can go wrong on the freeway does go wrong it is a like 40 car pile up countless people dead it is absolutely sensational also cut with an odd amount of comedy like steven was describing um where i was like okay i I thought this movie was about to go off in like a cabin fever 2 direction where it was just not giving any fucks and and just being silly and mixing the excessive gore with just over-the-top humor that's not actually the movie that we get for the most part for the most Um, part and i will say you know what you're talking about in that opening uh 
excellent crash sequence. That's kind of explained later that that is like part of Death's design as well. That kind of ironic in your face humor like the kid fucking crashing the two toy cars together as they drive by him oh, <laughs> like yeah. like like that that is not really meant to be like i thought like this is just ridiculous like the number of yeah. coincidences that are occurring but it turns out that that's part of the whole plan too and i have to say this is embarrassing i just want to tack this on um before we go too far down this this movie fucking tricked me because i'm new to this franchise i like once again when this car crash happened i thought it was really happening in the movie wow oh yeah that's i mean i i envy that experience honestly i was like i literally said god damn it they fucked with me again after that (laughs) actually yeah you know what i i agree because it, until it happens twice it's not a trope right so sure i i was like yeah maybe they just survive you know by the skin of their teeth but yeah no they all die um it's a, it's a cast of characters i don't even know what they were doing they were going on a trip somewhere and instead of getting on the freeway she has the premonition so she stops the car on the on-ramp also keeping a bunch of random strangers from getting on the on-ramp um so so she saves numerous lives um and then the same shit happens and they all get picked off one by one and in elaborate ways by death itself and i enjoy this car crash because it kind of exemplifies one of the strong suits of this franchise when it's actually working well which is just setups and payoffs tension and release you know we spend i don't know how many minutes but it's a significant amount of time with this cast of characters driving down the highway and you you know you know something bad is going to happen and the movie pretty successfully sets up a number of kind of little side characters as they drive along as these uh our, our kind of group of four protagonists are looking out the windows of the car and seeing different people in other cars and vehicles on the highway and then in the car crash uh, disposes of all those characters in surprising and shocking ways. And I just, I like the tension yeah. and release. That's when this franchise is working at its best is when it's setting up characters or potential deaths or injuries where you're going, Oh, what's going to happen with that? Is anything going to happen with that? And you're just on your, uh, you know, a little bit on the edge of your seat, wondering how this is all going to play out. Absolutely. Like, like why is it important that this guy's like chucking a bottle of water in his car? Like, why yeah. do you have to show me that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It invites yeah. you to guess. And then it shows you and like, ah, that's clever. So yeah, at its best, that's, that's what this franchise is about. Mm-hmm. My favorite death sequence in this happens pretty early on. Like, you know, after of course the fake out, because it reminded me a lot of the teacher's death sequence in the first one the kid who won the lottery Absolutely. and just like fucking everything goes wrong i yes. was howling with laughter and glee during the sequence yeah i mean because he's in his shitty apartment he's got on his like diamond studded gold watch that he's purchased with his lottery winnings he's uh heating up some leftovers he pulls some spaghetti out of the fridge that's nasty he throws it out the window of his apartment and everything starts to go wrong you know there's metal in his microwave the microwave's about to explode his stove is lighting on fire he's got his hand stuck down the garbage disposal which i have to say is a big trigger for me like that freaks me out anytime i have my hand down the garbage disposal 
Uh, we've talked about this on a previous episode, Patrick. I don't think you were on that one, but the hand in the garbage disposal. I think this is the third time that's come up in an Amon movie. Yes. And it fuck like it's ridiculous. I think on the episode maybe that Christine was on, we talked about this. Where oh, like, yeah. like I, I understand it it's a completely it works every time because I understand it's a completely irrational fear. Garbage disposals don't just turn on on their own. But every time I see that, I am just squirming in my seat the entire time. Well, we also talked about it on our previous um, franchise review episode. It's in one of those Halloween movies, and also in that oh, movie, yeah. the garbage disposal does not turn on. No one gets mauled just as in just as in this Final Destination movie, but it just fucks with you because it's like, what if it turns on? What if that's going to be the thing that fucks him up? But no, his entire apartment gets lit on fire. He gets his hand out of the garbage disposal. He successfully escapes his flaming apartment and then gets down to the street and slips on the spaghetti that he threw out the window at the beginning of this whole scene. And then the fire escape ladder comes down and fucking pierces his eye slash skull and it's it's great. It's great again. Build up, uh, set up, pay off, and and sometimes nothing paying off in the way that you think it's going it's, to. It's it's such a winning formula that works <laughs> so well every time they stick to the formula that you'll wonder why they just don't keep sticking to the formula for all the deaths because yeah. we only get a couple like that in each movie. Right. Some people just die very. I mean, in gruesome ways, but very unceremoniously. Just like something flies at them, a wrench, you know, or something comes out of a machine and and blows their head off. Um, there's not like an elaborate setup to it. But then again, yeah. if there were elaborate setups to every death these would be longer movies and i like that they're all a lean 90 minutes or less yeah yes. they might have to cut some of the recurrent exposition about oh hey you know every movie has like a 10 minute scene where someone's like so i went on google and i found out about this airplane uh in 2000 that was going to paris and there were some students and they got off the plane and they just like have to reiterate that in every movie mm-hmm. and, then they, and then go see tony todd to tell them something about oh you can't cheat death <laughs> it's and, like, okay. And that drives me crazy because I don't know, sometimes I get frustrated with franchises that have a set of rules and they don't like you know like remind you of them or like make, you know, p- put little little twists in them or something. If your movie is called Final Destination 2, I think it's safe to assume that you've seen Final Destination 1. We don't need that shit. Honestly, I kind of disagree, especially as we get later into the franchise and there are longer gaps between the movies because again, these are popcorn movies for high schoolers to go make out and, you know, laugh at the gruesome deaths. And I think it's a pretty fair assumption, especially when you have a longer gap between movies, that nobody knows what fucking happened in the previous installments. And you might as well re-explain the, the concept. And it may be frustrating for those of us who are watching all five of them in a week and a half. But I think it sort of makes sense as far as the target audience for the movies. But I think there's enough awareness of the basic premise of the Final Destination franchise. And frankly, the minutia that we're likely to forget about like how you can actually change death's order or whatever never really ends up mattering in any significant way. Oh, it's so, true. Because well, <laughs> everybody the, fucking know, dies anyway. <laughs> one of the fucking dullest elements of all these movies to me is whenever they get into that changing the order, death working in reverse, whatever. I never remember what order everyone died in in the first place. And it really actually generates any real suspense for me to go oh death is skipping to blah 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 i can't keep track of it and i don't care to i can't keep track of it and also every single i'm i i don't think i'm wrong here but correct me if i am like every single time someone either directly like intentionally or inadvertently like 
uh, like skips a place it's like the person that died in their stead had like some terminal health problem and they could die any moment anyway <laughs> yeah 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 I don't know. So this this Final Destination Two is only really notable to me for um, bringing back our friend Clear Rivers, yes. who takes a uh, a turn, a narrative turn that we've seen before, but is usually kind of compelling. Uh, where she's actually checked herself into a mental institution yes. because Devon Sawa's character has been killed off screen by a falling brick of all things. Very right. underwhelming. Poor Devon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, so she's she's locked herself in a padded cell. Uh, strict restrictions on visitors to keep her safe and the hero of this movie goes to uh, see her and pick her brain on death and uh, at first Clear Rivers is like well I'm going to stay in the cell Uh, but she does find the courage to come out and and help everybody Um, and we're like great and then she gets unceremoniously blown up in like the last 20 minutes of the movie and you know Mm -hmm. so you kind of feel like an asshole forever caring about clear rivers in the first place and i love that scene where our heroine kimberly i think is her name is going to visit clear it's a a great you know sort of like silence of the lambs-esque walk down the mental hospital corridor and the the doctor is you know running kimberly through all the things she can't bring into clear's room you know no belt buckles let me check your nails to make sure they're not long or sharp because Clear has a list of precautions she's taken to make sure absolutely nothing can happen to her in this institution, which of course still begs the question, why doesn't death come up with some way to just light the fucking mental institution on fire or something? But still, it's it's, or, you it's know, fun. Why, oh, people drop dead all the time. I mean, death could just give her an aneurysm, right? Yeah, sure. And, and yes, I also agree that Clear's ultimate demise is extremely unceremonious in the end. And that's really kind of one of my main complaints with the whole franchise, which is that, you know, most of the characters are completely disposable, but every now and then you try to meet the movie halfway and you start to kind of care a little bit about the character. And then the movie's just like, ha ha, you cared about those characters. Fuck you. They all just died. <laughs> you know, what my favorite <laughs> character in on. this movie was, it was the, so the little kid and his mom. So it's the kid that was uh, – I think he was playing with water bottles, like playing the drums while his mom's driving him to the dentist and the water bottle gets stuck under the brakes. So mm. they finally decide to go to the dentist and, you know, this kid's a little little whippersnapper. He's got a, a pretty sick sense of humor, it turns out. And this ties back into very awkward moments of humor in the series for me where as he's going in for his dentist appointment, I don't know if he's it's a routine cleaning or what, he turns to his mom and says, almost without affect, hey, if he gives me the gas and I wake up with my pants unbuttoned, we ain't paying. Yeah, that was and weird. Like, yeah. And the mom doesn't even know how to react to it. Yeah, she sort of like chuckles like, oh, you know, oh, you. Yeah. But it's like a nine-year-old boy. Like, where where is this coming from? Yeah. That death scene is, again, one of my favorites in yeah. the movie because there are a lot of great misdirects. You see the ultimate cause of that character's death right at the beginning of the sequence and don't even realize that that's how it's going to play out. But, I mean, again, this is one that just really plays with one of my main fears, which is being anesthetized and unable to move, but still able to feel things. And he's got the, uh, you know, the nitrous on in the dentist chair, but he can't actually move and, you know, fucking shit's falling into his mouth. You think he's going to die in the dentist chair, but no, he just walks out onto the street and gets fucking smashed 
just disintegrated by a falling plate of window glass, which is <laughs> because I can't start playing death. with those pigeons. <laughs> What's yeah, that? It's, it's funny. It's so arbitrary how he just makes a break and just runs across the street to chase pigeons. Uh, but you know, it's fine. It's funny. I liked it. I, it may be a little disappointing that, you know, well, the, wait. the death didn't actually have to do with the dentist's office. I was not it, disappointed I mean, in the, the least. I could not have been more entertained by that whole sequence. Mm. That's part of the thrill ride. And okay, we uh, this is probably going to be an ongoing conversation too. Like, do the clues fucking matter from whoever the clairvoyant is who first, you know, witnesses the vision of the big, you know, death scene at the beginning? Like, the pigeons were a clue that came to uh, Kimberly. And so, like, when she shows up, somehow they figured out that this kid was going to the dentist that day and they knew where the dentist office was, which is also a construction site. As she sees the kid, she yells, pigeons. <laughs> so he, like, instinctively runs to them. I thought it was so funny. Uh, let me yeah. tell you another trope of this series that is fucking tiresome to me is the fucking clairvoyant clues. It's not in the first movie at all, I don't think. And in the second movie, you have some clues. The third movie, which we're going to get to, goes deep on the like clues, and it's uh, really tiresome to me. I just don't follow, give a yeah, fuck. following the clues and trying to come up with how to cheat's death plan. It's it's just kind of like obligatory stuff to fill the sequences between the the kill yeah. moments that everyone's paying to see. Yeah. So it's like in this movie, you have all this re- really contrived stuff about saving a pregnant woman so she can deliver a baby because only the new life can save you from the like. Holy Bleh. shit! Oh god, <laughs> that was exhausting. <laughs> then our our hero has to like drown herself and her heart stops so she can be saved, brought back to life, and that's and, and, and I don't know. It just it's it's all dreck. What the fuck is this ending? <laughs> this really takes the what just happened quotient to the next level in my book. I love right? it. I love it. So like the the so like there's there's a you know, big crash sequence on a farm where a bunch of people die and one character saves the life of the little farmhand boy who's out there working. Um, so basically that boy is implicated in death sadistic design. Now, everybody that survives gets, gets together for a good old fashioned barbecue for some reason to reminisce about the good old times when a bunch of people got murked on their farm, including one character we have never seen before the mother of this boy who's been saved. Yeah. (laughs) And so the, the, you know, they're all having a great time. We got lots of gauzy lighting. Everybody's drinking wine. It seems like a, you know, we're going to have a happy ending. The kid goes off to light the barbecue barbecue and just fucking explodes and then his and then his arm lands on his mom's plate she screams and movie love it yeah absolutely love it it like it's to me like there was a there there was some draggy moments in this this entry and I'm, i'm like always unclear about what the sense of humor behind these movies is like i like that it that that ending just kind of took the air out of everything i felt like I needed an explanation of what had just happened. I went on Wikipedia. I went back and rewatched the scenes of this boy getting saved in the first place. I was like, what just happened? Have I seen this mom character before? What What's going on? It, it was like, I need to, you know, when you watch one of these fucking overly convoluted TV shows and you want to read the recap afterwards to understand what you've just watched. I was like, what just happened, man? Because, and this had been the second time that I'd watched this movie. And I was still like, What? I mean, I don't know. It was it was perfectly clear to me. But either way, were you entertained? How did you feel that that was the ending to this this portion of the saga? I feel annoyed. 
I think it just frustrated me because the basic twist was supposed to play with this whole concept of death's plan being reordered or whatever, which is, again, one of the more tiresome parts of this franchise to me. And I was just, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Didn't didn't turn the dial for me. Well, but on Patrick, that note, would you we view, review it or screw shit? it? <laughs> yes, let's uh, let's review it. Um, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to give this one another view. It there's enough entertainment value in this one for me, <laughs> even despite my problems with it. That I'm like, yeah, fuck. I, I mean, the, the the fucking kitchen scene alone, the spaghetti slip alone is great entertainment, worth the price of admission for me. So yeah, go for it. Uh, Chris, uh, screw it. The deaths were um, good. The sense of humor when it was hitting was good, but there's so much just really boring connective tissue. Uh, probably the weakest connective tissue um, in the franchise, except for the fourth movie, which didn't have any connective tissue. Um, this is my second least favorite movie in the franchise. Uh, wow. You could do better. Screw it. Interesting. So early on, you criticized the franchise for not having connective tissue, but you're criticizing this installment for having too much connective tissue. Shitty connective tissue, like characters I just really don't care about, and like taking me down some rant, like nothing thematic, nothing, nothing, nothing about the characters, nothing, just just random people word vomiting about new life and pregnant ladies and stuff. Sorry, can't do it. <laughs> All right, Steven. <laughs> uh, I'll give it a cue. I mean, there's some really fun stuff in here. It gets bogged down quite a bit in the second act. Um, you know, I don't really give that much of a shit about Clear coming back because I think like we have to set our standards pretty low for um, character development in these films. It just it felt very soap opera y to me in a fun way, but then I wondered why they even set that up if they were just gonna kill her so quickly um and unceremoniously toward the end of the movie. Uh but yeah, the opening sequence is great that like I I've had to drive into work a couple of times during quarantine and there are the only thing on the road right now are eighteen wheelers. So it's like yeah. it's like kind of a nightmare to be surrounded by these things and they're driving super fucking fast because the police aren't issuing speed tickets anymore. And I, I I've thought about this movie every time I've had to drive in. So it had an impact on me, you know, ultimately it's pretty it's pretty silly and there are some boring stretches in it so yeah i think a cue it sounds about right all right on to final destination three yeah final destination three yeah the roller coaster one and uh i i'll be more positive about this one this one i uh i thought worked uh for the most part oh i love this Um, one yeah, this is this is definitely I mean it doesn't again it doesn't have kind of the uh high concept basis that Final Destination 1 I think sort of aspired to. But this is a uh, one of the best distillations of the uh franchise for me. Uh the the deaths are good. I thought the connective tissue in this one was actually more compelling than the others. Uh I kind of cared more about the characters in this one than the others. I thought it was a uh, better shot and better made than the others. Uh a, a good time. For well, me. it's the that return is... of James Wong, which I think maybe says something to the the fact that it has more of a look to it. 
and it feels a little bit more coherent than part two. Yeah, and you know, we didn't hit on this at all, but like Final Destination 2 looks like, and this was kind of just odd to me, like it's shot like a lifetime movie. Like there's absolutely yeah. no mood to it. And and so I, I I was really conscious of that. I was like, you know, it's interesting because like the Saw movies, which I love, of course, have gone through a series of hands, a series of staff, uh, but like you have all these really grisly, this really grisly subject matter, but it's always like looks like dark and grimy and gross throughout the entire franchise. It has a distinct mood to it. And it was weird that like there would be such a uh, tonal shift from the first uh-huh. Final Destination to Final Destination 2, where it just looks like the most generic, like made for TV movie, but also people are just dying in hor- horrific ways in full blood. Interesting. In this I movie, it is, it is big and bright and colorful and like the like the the camera just like moves so eloquently through it it's as ridiculous as any of the other films but it's like a a world i want to i wanted to live in for a little while it's easy to make gorgeous cinematography like if you're at an amusement park and you just have all those little lights everywhere and all the bokeh and everything like that so (laughs) you have to know how to shoot it i mean i i thought a lot about um you know as you guys know i'm obsessed right now with with the movie the fun house and i'm trying to write a remake of it but like there were this capture that vibe where it felt like this carnival was created specifically for this movie. It wasn't like they just dropped in on a random traveling carnival because what traveling carnival has a full fledged roller coaster in it, first of all. And it it just, it it, it felt like it was all very purposeful. I don't think it was just that they were like exploiting an existing location. But the question I had immediately watching this movie was, was this originally released in 3d? Because everything feels so purposefully shot, so there's stuff coming at you. Things are like in like sharper focus than they would be normally, and it turns out they were intending to shoot this in 3D, but they they abandoned it. And yet, yes. somehow, the cinematography still conveys that kind of sense of a 3D movie, where you have you have a, a different sense of like sort of space in the images than you would in an ordinary slasher movie like this. Well, that's interesting to me, but also just like you guys' general impressions of this film are interesting to me because I could not disagree more. I mean, I don't notice an appreciable difference in the in the visuals or the cinematography between one and two. And three, I was interested that you said, you know, it's sort of bright and colorful because when I think of it, I think of fairly dark imagery and also, to me, it's a lot harder to read visually, especially if you just compare like that o- opening car crash scene in two, which, you know, as we as we talked about, is, I think, really, really well done and reads quite well to the roller coaster opening scene in this third one, which was interesting to me. And I think kind of played on my fears about being on a roller coaster and things going wrong. But a lot of the time I had a hard time understanding what the fuck was actually going on in that scene. It didn't read very well to me. Yeah, the roller coaster sequence is not the strongest opening incident of these movies. Um, oh, I, I love agree. it! Once the, I love it. It's well, n- it's not the highway crash of the second movie, but I feel like it stands on its own terms. Like I felt like it was all like it like looked. I mean, the CGI is shitty, but it looks really good for when it came out. And I felt like all of the little things that have to click in place for everything to go wrong were very like cleverly communicated. I agree with that. I also agree with Patrick that it's kind of hard to 
track the action and it's just uh, again it's it's relatable but it's not as relatable as being on a plane or being in a in a in a car uh thing but what i did like about the beginning of this movie is it kind of takes its time to get to the to the roller coaster and it does some character work and you kind of understand all the characters and you get to meet them and and they will become important later and our hero uh mary elizabeth winstead playing a girl named wendy kind of has her own uh motivation she's trying to take pictures for the school yearbook and stuff and and also she's uh uh you know has a hard time with roller coasters and everything in general um and i thought that was all very interesting and you know putting people on a ride you know i i love roller coasters but like when that harness comes down and you realize that like oh especially when you start rolling down the track and get out of the view of the operator and you're like oh there's nothing I can do right now to get off this ride. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a, that's a, that's a legit fear of mine. I mean, I don't go on roller coasters anymore. Um, I just generally tend to why, get why not? I tend to get sick. I get motion sickness pretty oh. easily. Um, but that said, like like this did kind of tap into that fear of mine of like, okay, well, for one, I assume again. Maybe I'm wrong that this is a traveling carnival and I'm reading a book about carnivals right now in preparation for the script I'm writing. And I'm like thinking about like just kind of the people that we trust to put these incredibly complicated and dangerous things together might not be the most trustworthy people always. Like there's a lot of nuts and bolts that have to be tightened down. Like I I don't think I would ever feel safe on a roller coaster again. I mean, all right. Well, the, look, there's there's different types of of carnivals, different types of amusement park rides. You know, I I I have a lot of confidence in say Cedar Point or you know a permanent thing. Sure. that, you know has actual engineers working full time and stuff. Um, you know, you go to the Monroe County Fair on like Sunday afternoon when they're setting up the rides, and you see you know the random people who travel with the carnival, and they're putting up the Ferris wheel, and you see them literally like kicking shit in place with their foot yeah <laughs> um or you know, i've seen that before and you're like oh yeah that's gonna kill somebody <laughs> horrifying you know i will give big props to mary elizabeth winstead one of the few actual actors in this franchise who does create a character who you care about um otherwise ah, man these characters were fairly stock for me and and failed to register for the most part other than fucking frankie cheeks again just <laughs> one of the most odious creeps in this entire franchise i mean he's supposed to be but my god he's so over the top and just absolutely disgusting oh well, yeah, but he's got this a movie does that a lot this movie often gives you characters who are just odious and offensive and sexist or racist and it begins to like you start to say okay you know what it's not okay to like have racist jokes just because they're coming from a racist character oh boy we are gonna get into that in the next movie (laughs) yes we will we'll get get into that what like what struck me about just the first you know the setup before the roller coaster happens is like I don't know, it really felt like the writer, writers, and director had, like, wanted to make a statement. Like, they didn't feel like the other 
like the previous two films in the franchise were like authentic enough to how horny teenagers really are. <laughs> I mean, in the in the beginning of this movie, there is there's an upskirt shot in the first five minutes of this thing. Yeah. Um, there's well, the you don't actually balloon. see up the skirt, but someone takes we don't an see it, but shot. but someone does it, and there's a lot of chatter about it, and nobody seems yeah. really all that disgusted by it. Um, yeah, there's like the so I mean, we have our our main character Mary Elizabeth Winstead, our protagonist. She's She's, she's, she's got a deadline for the school yearbook. Automatically, right off the bat, she has more motivation than any other character in this franchise. It's true. There's nothing like a deadline. Um, and she, like, but she's surrounded by horny guys who are like convincing her to take pictures of like scantily clad girls from their class playing a very erotic balloon pop game. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just a a lot of like absurd horniness in the early part of this movie that really sort of baffled me. It felt like it was going for broke in a strange way. I don't have anything more to say about that. <laughs> Didn't bother me. I just thought it stood out like a sore thumb in the screenplay for the first, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Speaking of things that stand out like a sore thumb, uh, did you guys think that Wendy's character was supposed to be a control freak? <laughs> because they only reference yeah. that 9,000 times. Like, the character literally says, I'm a control freak, like, so many times. It's hilarious. Right, so, but there isn't really an arc out of that, is there? Like, because you would Not assume really. when your character starts the movie talking about how much of a control freak she is, and she's a control freak for the whole movie, and she's trying to cheat death, like, you would assume that the script would have her give up control willingly in order to save her friends or something that doesn't happen does it no and it's like a great it's a great germ of an idea for this franchise as well because you know you're dealing with the ultimate control freak apparently death who has very meticulous (laughs) designs for how everyone's gonna perish and i thought it would be fun if she did get like extremely meticulous about her her sort of her plan and her research on this but i mean when she tries to do that she just falls asleep at the keyboard (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are a couple of good deaths in this i mean the tanning bed scene is gratuitous for the teen hilarious but man it's it's pretty well put together as far as just ridiculous chains of events coming together to gruesomely dispatch characters yeah, I really like that. I really like the um, the drive-through sequence in which our heroes are being menaced by like you know tr- runaway trucks while they're trapped in the drive-through, and they escape. And you think they're safe only for the engine block to go through their car into the back of the guy in front of them's <laughs> yeah. head, and that that turns out to be their classmate, and they didn't have any Frankie idea. Frankie cheeks, <laughs> Frankie cheeks, good yeah. riddance. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. Uh, the hardware uh, sequence, the hardware store sequence in this movie That's is good. one of the highlights of the franchise for me. That's a nice um, slow build. Yeah, and also you know those characters were interesting too. You know, you got kind of the like uh, edgy, the the two edgy like uh, I don't even know how you would describe that like that guy's click or anything. Like he's like well, the guy who wants to explain the laws of physics to you like you're an idiot, but he's also like a hipster is too cool for school, but he's also kind of punk. I don't know. Yeah, he also um, like shops at Hot Topic exclusively. 
<laughs> right you know so he's kind of like he and he and our heroes are kind of having a lot of back and forth about you know kind of the the uh philosophy and and how to push back against death and so that's interesting that keeps you busy while you start to see all these things happen in the hardware store that are interesting and then it ends with one of the best deaths in the in the franchise for me yeah that's um, nicely done this, because it starts and ends it's similar to that dentist office sequence where right at the beginning of the sequence you see the thing that's going to cause the death which is in this case a nail gun and then the sequence goes on at quite some length to introduce a lot of other things that you think are going to kill people and then in the end it's just somebody getting fucking absolutely (laughs) nailed well literally nailed through the back of the head with a nail gun it's like okay. excruciating oh also i almost forgot that this was this movie because they all run together i really liked the uh the weight room scene that's a good scene too yeah especially yeah. And because it's the same thing too where like go bruins wendy's wendy is uh going into you know uh uh for, yeah it's a hilarious caricature of like a football weight room <laughs> um so that was entertaining but for that itself. for some reason has sharpened swords hanging on the wall of it. Uh. <laughs> right and so like they're like playing private because they have these like pictures that they think like reveal the cause of death for all their friends and so they go see this guy and like you know they're like they're paranoid and they're like looking around the room and they're like trying to figure out much like we are they're the characters are trying to figure out what in this room is going to kill their friends um, and then you know things have play out in a, a surprising way. All it good does stuff. a good job of bringing you into Wendy's paranoid point of view. Um, not a lot of missteps in this movie for me. Um, There's some weird pseudo political stuff in it. I mean, there are references to to 9-11 and Osama bin Laden <laughs> and Lincoln for some oh, reason yeah. as well. Dude, <laughs> there is a shot in this movie of a photo of like a shadow of a a jet plane cast over the twin towers that is accompanied by a sound effect of like a jet plane flying over. And it's so ridiculous and gratuitous Uh over the top. And and I mean, again, I say, I apply all those words ridiculous and gratuitous and over the top to a movie in which two like busty young women roast to death in tanning beds naked, you know, it's absurd. I was underwhelmed by the uh, like the Founders Festival sequence yeah. at the end. I don't know. There's a lot of buildup with fireworks and shit. It just there are more exciting ways for these characters to die than they end up dying. Yeah, at the end, that final sequence, it seemed like it kind of tied up a whole bunch of stuff really quickly and not that greatly. Um, also, I thought that you know the punk kid that we were talking about coming back as an antagonist, he starts following Wendy. He like decides that he's going to kill her, and that's going to be the way he fucks up Death's plan. And I thought that was an interesting concept, but eh, could have got more out of that, I Did, thought. They yeah. didn't follow through, but hey, we still have number four to talk about here soon, so... Or wait, is it five? Doesn't matter. They're going to follow up on that that kind of. Uh, it, it's going to become a trope. Yeah, but I agree with you. Trope, in this but... in this movie, it was it was very underwhelming. I agree. Uh, I thought it was going to go to darker places. Let me tell you another reason why I like the movie. Because um, at the end, you know, we have our, our heroes surviving. Uh, Wendy survives. And so does her sister, who actually they did a decent job by Final Destination standards of making me care about Wendy's sister. Um, oh, I disagree and- completely. I was like, who is this? Why do I care? Same. Oh, okay. Uh, whatever. Oh, the little moment with the bracelet went a long way for me. Again, we're, I'm holding it to a different standard than I would, you know something else um 
so it's like you know the falling action where they're all on a subway train and there's a horrible accident but turns out it's a premonition again that wendy is having uh and that they are all doomed to die on the subway train and she tries to get them to stop the train and it doesn't seem like it works but we don't really know what happens. And that was, I, I liked that. I liked how, like, yeah, they're probably going to die, but there's still some room for hope that these characters that you actually give a shit about uh, didn't just unceremoniously die at the end of the movie. Oh, there again. seemed to be no room for hope to me. It seemed premonition again for no apparent reason other than to just throw a new kink into the proceedings. And again, for for no apparent reason, because then they apparently are all going to die anyways. At least that's how I read it. I, that's how I did too, but I, okay, so this has me questioning something that I thought about gradually more and more often while watching this franchise is like, where do the premonitions come from? Are they, like, is, is it Dude, like, it's Jesus. Like, is Jesus. it <laughs> government satellites? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that, like, death has this, like, v- extremely clear plan and yet would somehow allow that little tiny lapse over and over and over again maybe it's just his way of toying with us i don't know maybe but i, 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 w- I wish there were answers maybe when we finally get the next final destination sequel in a couple of years we'll we'll finally know good they can dive they can delve more into the rules it's also <laughs> worth noting that uh you know I, I think this franchise has been around long enough at this point and is well established enough that we kind of overlook the really sort of clever conceit that there is no physical antagonist to this film. And I, I can't think of any other horror movie where there's not, I mean, it follows kind of, I guess fits into this category. Yes. But like, that's the only other one I could think of, but like I was watching, I, this is the first movie I saw in the franchise with on a date with someone about a year or two ago. And one of my first questions was, cause I was like, Oh, you're going to make me watch a fucking final destination movie. So I was being a jerk about it and asking a lot of, detailed questions about the rules and the mythology. And I was like, so who's behind all this? Like, do we ever see death? No. And we don't. And that's kind of brilliant in a way. It's wild. It's great. I mean, good, good for them. Especially over the course of five movies, you know, you you need, you reach for things to try and spice up a franchise after that many movies. And it's actually kind of astonishing that death still has not been really seen or personified other than like sort of Tony Todd's character who always shows yeah. up and says spooky shit. I mean, he is not death, but he's about the closest thing we get to some sort yeah. of like physical. Uh, he's the voice of the devil in this one though. Oh, yeah, is he? Great. Oh, when, oh, the devil yeah. at the, in the roller coaster and the, uh, and the voice of the PA on the train at the end. Oh, Was that him? I wasn't yeah, sure about yeah. that. It didn't sound quite like him, but hmm. I'll so, believe it. Uh, I, I the whole like no antagonist thing's fine, but it it like when they do try to lean into making death an antagonist, it doesn't really work for me. Like as if death's a personified thing, and like oh you he he's he wants this, he's coming back, and then they're like you know cussing out death as they're duct taping their shovels to the walls. Uh, you know, oh I don't ah, want that. Whatever. I don't want that at all. I, I'd yeah. rather death be kind of a, a mystery presence. Yeah. All or right. like when you see the shadow of a bony hand in your bedroom, <laughs> which actually happens. All right. So let's review the damn thing. Review I'll go first. I will give Final Destination 3 a cue it 
Unfortunately, uh, I, I, none of these rise to the level of view it for me, although Final Destination 3 may Spoilers. be my favorite one. Wow. I think you could make a good argument for uh, the first or the third one to be the best of the franchise, depending on your mood and what you want in a horror movie. Fascinating. I would. I, I got to go cue it on this as well. There are things I like in it. I, again, I enjoy Mary Elizabeth Winstead's performance. There are a couple good death scenes in it for me. But the opening sequence, as I said already, is, is kind of hard for me to follow. I really don't like the ending of this movie. And I don't like the, uh, we didn't talk about it much, but this kind of recurring bit of uh, Wendy referring to the photos that she took at the amusement park to find clues of how people are going to die. Again, that, that whole business is just very dull to me. So it, it mostly succeeds on the basis of her performance and a few good death scenes. David. Uh, I'm going to give it a view. It. I love wow. this movie. Love this movie. I mean, it is trash, but it's, I, in my opinion, very well executed trash. It's beautiful. It's, it's colorful. You know, I'm, I'm very much into sort of the carnival aspect of the first third of the movie or so. That's just a milieu I love to live in. I also love like small town centennial festivals with fireworks and that sort of thing. So that that's kind of a perfect bookend. Uh, this movie was just a blast for me. It never seemed to take itself as seriously as a lot of the other entries had more of a sense of humor about the material. It was consistently thrilling, beautifully shot. There's a split diopter shot in this movie, which always gets me. Yes. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I, <noticed> that. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, who the hell rented a, 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 di- a split diopter for uh, final destination? Three? Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's not a great movie, but you know, p- putting this on, on the same, you know, in the same category as the other movies we review on the show, I would recommend this over like 80% of the shit we've watched so far. So view it. Wow. Yeah, agree. Wild. This is, I mean, this entire experience so far has been wild. Just these these reactions. So I'm fascinated to see what we're all going to have to say about Final Destination Four, the NASCAR one. Well, I don't <laughs> think it's going to surprise anybody. Uh, Final Destination Four, I think, is universally recognized as the low point of the series. I had actually heard good things about the opening race car sequence, Oof. which I think Oof. I think people were fucking with me. <laughs> I, I texted Chris after I finished this movie, and I just asked, like, so was that really a movie? <laughs> or some variation of that. Final Destination, Final Destination Four has, like, no style no substance the special effects budget is clearly the lowest in the entire series and yet it relies on special effects maybe more than some of the others it's a it's a mess so this was the one that was released in 3d yes and yeah. so that kind well, of explains one, i think the, four and five were both released in 3d Okay, so yeah, but the Final Destination 4, a.k.a. the Final Destination, um, yeah, it really leans into like putting CGI blood and guts flying at the screen at the expense of basically everything else. It looks, like, I wrote this in my notes twice, I mean, not that it gives it any more credence than me saying it out loud, but this looks worse than a sci-fi channel TV movie in places for me, like, it's just... It, it was hard to just look at sometimes in those stretches between anybody dying. 
Yeah. yeah. So basic premise is they're at a uh, not quite NASCAR, but a, a major racing event. Uh, all hell breaks loose. Things go into the stands basically and kill everybody. But our premonition friend uh, Nick O'Bannon uh, is able to save his friends and some random race spectators. Um, and then they all die. And just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there were a couple good sequences. Actually, one of my favorite sequences in the franchise happened to be in Final Destination 4, but that doesn't spare Final Destination 4 any uh, any favor with me. Yeah, my problem with this one is that it kind of reduces the whole concept to just the most basic elements, I guess. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of death scenes. Most of them don't have that sort of tension and release that, again, I've talked about multiple times, but that's what you know, the best sequences of this franchise yeah. succeed on. So many of these deaths just feel very sudden and just kind of going for that, you know, as I always say, look at that, you know, a guy yeah. just suddenly the gets only- dragged down the street by his own tow truck. Uh, there's just a lot of very sudden stuff that doesn't have that same build up where you're just sort of relishing slash dreading whatever is whatever is about to happen yeah uh-huh. the only uh death that follows the winning formula in this movie is the woman at the hair salon yeah yeah uh, yes that's, that's was nicely fine. done there's a lot of Where, good misdirects uh, in that great great in, stuff even that wasn't my favorite even that's like a, even that for me is like like i giggled out loud but i was like man that was still like a pretty low tier death sequence for the series and that's probably the best one what what Mm. you were gonna say what's your favorite though chris my favorite no one actually dies in my favorite sequence in this and one of my favorite in the franchises is the car wash oh my fucking god oh my god what a delight what a delight i thought it was like a yo mama joke like yo mama's so dumb she could drown in a car wash <laughs> like, like where does that is that like a fear that people have that they yes. could get trapped in a car wash and get submerged dude i was I mean, terrified of car washes when i was a little kid for some reason and i'm not scared of them anymore but there is something weird and scary about your car being on this track and you have no control there are big like spinny things all around you and you know, I, I don't know. This sort of introduced a fear to me now. I, I just recently bought a car that does have a sunroof, and I'm like, fuck, that is not a mechanically controlled thing. Like, what if my sunroof just gets stuck open? What happens? Then you open the door and you walk out. No, but you can't. No, can't, there's too much machinery you there. You can't open the door in this scene because there's fucking huge spinny things that would fucking, oh, yeah, that one I really got to car washes, great. car washes scared me as a kid. Like I did the, you know, the wild woolly shit that's coming at you and you feel like you're on a different planet because you can't see anything else. You're in the dark and there's soap everywhere. Like it was always kind of creepy and fun to me, but I never thought about drowning in my car potentially from being in a car oh, wash. Oh, no. No, but that's what's so fun about Inventive. it. Like. You know, in in real life, if your sunroof gets stuck open in the car wash, like it's annoying because like you're gonna have water all over your shit. But no, not only does the sunroof get stuck, but like a water main just opens up right above the sunroof yeah. and literally just fills the car with water. And so she's got you know try to get out the sunroof, but she can't. Instead, her head just gets stuck and almost gets put through the big roller at the end of the line. Oh. It was just sensational. I loved it. That's one of those indelible images for me is her head like stuck in the sunroof and about to get fucking decapitated by the roller. And, and then at the last minute, she gets saved, which 
honestly the bloodlust in me was just sort of disappointed i was like all right you got Same. me this far in this d- sort of distressing scene i just want to see her head get lopped off by this uh big rolling brush I wanted her to yeah. die too. I I would not say I don't know. I find it interesting that you guys both seem to find the scene very distressing. I was laughing my ass off the entire time just at the sheer absurdity of it that like this this made it from idea to script through multiple drafts and then into the movie and it's not even a death sequence in a final destination movie. I don't know. Oh, I just I thought mean, it was hilarious. Don't get me wrong, I was also smiling and laughing. Um, okay, great. But, you know, I, I mean, again, again, I think it gets at one of the strong suits of this franchise, which is that it, it plays on some fears that you have, but also encourages you to kind of laugh at those fears and realize how ridiculous they are. Sure. And these movies are real. I mean, if there's anything that I commend them for, um, even though by and large I would pan these movies, it's it's that. It's taking, like even the most ridiculous fears that you might not even have about sort of how you could die in everyday circumstances, planting them in your brain and then allowing you to laugh at the absurdity of being worried about that. Yeah. It's very fun. Another death scene in this film that I did enjoy, but kind of wanted to go further was the scene where the fucking asshole jock bro, uh, gets, caught in the pool like he accidentally triggers the pool starting to to drain and then gets his oh ass my god in the drain of the pool and it reminded me of a chuck palonic yes. story i think i forget the name of the story but uh I, I think in the palonic story someone is uh sexually aroused by uh putting their their uh, private parts against the uh you can drain say or whatever of the pool and then accidentally gets their intestines sucked out. And I I don't know, somehow I wanted this scene to go further than just seeing some, like, intestines uh, spout up out of the pool, whatever you call the thing that sucks things out. I wanted this to be more gruesome. I wanted to see his rectum just get sucked the fuck out, especially because this guy was such an asshole earlier in the movie. Ha, an asshole. Um, (laughs) I was with you, though. Like, I was... I was disappointed by just like the cartoonish splash of blood that we get. I was expecting to see entrails or something. Then mm. again, do I really want to see more than that? I've read that Chuck Palahniuk <laughs> story, and it is one of the most cringe-inducing, squirmy things I've ever read. And I was kind of relieved that the movie just left it at blood. Mm-hmm. So this movie ends with just a complete shit show of a big series of set pieces in a movie theater and a mall. None of it worked for me. I don't think it was very compelling for a lot of people. I don't even know if I want to talk about it. I actually um, enjoyed some of this. I enjoyed what's his name? Who knows the protagonist's name? This this installment has some of the most disposable characters of any in the franchise, but I enjoyed him Getting the and again, this is another one where he gets a second premonition of what's going to happen. The movie theater is going to blow up, and then he has to go back and try and prevent that happening. And I actually did enjoy some of the behind the scenes of him. You know, a nail gun returns and nails him to the wall, and he's trying to prevent this explosion in the theater at the last minute. And that that stuff was fairly tense for me, and I enjoyed it. The stuff in the theater, I felt like this movie was well. First of all, I love that there are just 
barrels of chemicals labeled spontaneously combustible behind like <laughs> seemingly every screening room in this theater. I thought that was hilarious. But it felt like the movie it felt like this was supposed to be a meta moment, especially because this movie did come out in 3D, where it was like yeah. trying to make some kind of comment about violence as entertainment. And that really bugged me because <laughs> it it didn't really seem to have the ambition to go anywhere with that. They just wanted to like pretend they were clever and introduce that topic and then just let it go. I, I don't think they were trying to aspire to any theme. I think that they were just like, oh, people are going to watch this in a movie theater in 3D. So if we had an end sequence that was in a movie theater in 3D and it feels like maybe the screen is your screen. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. right. I mean, that's what I got from it, but I was like, uh, I'm, as, you know, as shitty as this movie was, I might have appreciated them just like trying to knock it out of the park with that metaphor and just do something yeah. new with the material. But this, no dice. It's, it's, it's Drek, and this is also the one, I took four notes on this movie, and, oh, one of the notes is that um, the opening credits and the Easter eggs in this movie are kind of the first time in the franchise that I felt rewarded for having seen the other movies, because, like, oh, the guy goes by a, a billboard or something that says, oh, Clear Rivers Drinking Water, oh and I'm like, ha ha, oh, I, didn't I even remember that, that character. Yeah. Oh, my anyway, God, things like so that. so gratuitous. But the, my other three notes were just like cataloging all the unnecessary racism in this movie. Yeah, we have to talk about that. Holy shit. Again, you have a character who is just a, an avowed racist uh, who actually, you know, is about to light a cross on a black man's front yard. I did not expect um, to hear the N word in the Final Destination franchise. Did not right. either. It's not necessary. What is this green room? We come here for. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone a cross being lit on a black man. Let front alone lawn. the black man later, like attempting to hang himself, and then like just sitting around chilling, yes. having a conversation with a noose around his like, neck. Like, is this Watchmen? Oh, I <laughs> fucking I was like screaming it, it, for multiple reasons when he was when he just left the noose around his neck during that conversation. Insane! I don't know what the fuck they were thinking? And he's just trying yeah, to kill just, himself because he thinks like he's going to play into Death's plan. And then literally moments later, he's deciding that's not what he's doing, and they're doing a champagne toast. It's it's wild. <laughs> yeah, and then of course you have the the throwaway old guy who's getting like the hydrotherapy, who just goes full Gran Torino on his Asian <laughs> nurse for no reason. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, the the racism, especially especially the racism with the redneck against the the black guy uh it's so cringy because it just felt like a, a grab for some sort of like social political consciousness that just didn't I, I, land at all. I don't even think there was thought put into it i don't know really? it was dumb i don't i don't excuse it it was just... oh i don't excuse it at all i i just oh yeah i, I know you're not i just i i don't know that was that was bizarre i was just like what did he just say why are we going here right now? It was a lot, yeah. It's 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 a rare movie that can get away with having characters say those things and do those things and have it uh, justified. And the Final Destination franchise is not up to the task. No, no. <laughs> so I also want to touch briefly on the escalator scene because this is another one that sort of plays into this weird irrational fear I have. Many yes. times I've been on an escalator and it's like, oh my god, what if some part of my clothing got caught and I got sucked into the escalator. But this movie's take on that is so ludicrous to me because the girl who gets eaten by the escalator, (laughs) 
This is one of the oh funniest moments in the entire franchise to me. Her leg first gets caught, and you see a shot of her leg. It's getting like crunched up in the escalators in her workings. And then we cut to a shot of her face, and she spits blood. No part of her body at this point has been crushed <laughs> that should cause her to be oh spitting like a mouthful of blood. And it just, for some reason, I, I don't know, it's sort of nitpicky almost, but it took me out of it so much and just really swung the dial to that just laughing at the absurdity of it instead of being uh, grounded in any sort of reality of, of the well, horror of that scenario the issue with that scene is that be, being afraid of being caught in the escalator is a very relatable thing right so the the first se- the first part of the sequence where like she's going up the escalator and her shoes untied and then she's like oh my shoes untied that's great and, you know it's no big deal that's great that's relatable when i'm afraid of an escalator i'm afraid of like getting my shoelace stuck in the escalator or something my leg torn off or something i'm not afraid of like falling into the gaping maw of like yeah. six foot wide elevator gears yeah. that made of cgi I'm not worried about what's beneath the stairs. (laughs) In fact, I've never thought about it before until this movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And there's so much like gratuitous. I, I, this, this movie is really going all out for the 3d trying to like, just throw as many things into the extreme foreground to make you go as possible. And it looks like shit. All the premonitions in it are terrible CG where shit like shoots into your face it's oh boy it's not good it's a big oof (laughs) it's a big oof i would give i would give the final destination uh unequivocal screw it how about you guys same same and i have nothing more to add that i haven't already said yeah i i I think i can uh, get on that train as well it's you know there there are a couple of moments uh that are fun but uh definitely the low point of the whole series for me screw it so yeah, I would I would give the car wash sequence a view it. Go look that one up on YouTube and then pretend the rest of the movie doesn't exist. <laughs> I will say this is the last note that I had that I thought was like mildly amusing. So like Patrick, I kind of have an I have an um an, an alternate moniker for each one of these movies or like a subtitle, and I wrote down uh, FD four the two thousand nine made for TV movie. That's that's my alternate subtitle for this. I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, it's accurate. So. Before we uh, before we get into Final Destination Five, um, I'm wondering: Have any of you ever had a Final Destination esque brush with death? Oh, dude! I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, well, do tell, please. I mean, you were there for it, Chris. I mean, I almost fucking drowned in Panama. <laughs> oh yeah, he almost died. We were we oh, were snorkeling off this beautiful island. We went on a snorkeling trip. And we got pretty far out, and, and Chris and our friend Jeff challenged us to a race back to the shore. And I'm not a great swimmer. I was a worse swimmer then, and I'm still not a great swimmer. And about, well, not even halfway, but partway back to the shore, I, uh, I think I got some water in my mouth or snorkel or something and just kind of started panicking. And I literally, I mean, no exaggeration, confronted the not even possibility but it was an expectation in my mind that i was going to die and i I distinctly remember like looking around at the surroundings and being like this is beautiful like this is a great place to die oh no and fortunately jeff and chris after what felt like an eternity of me struggling uh realized that i was that i was struggling and they uh helped me back to shore and i think i coughed up about a gallon of salt water but yeah that's uh that 
I, it wasn't even close to a brush with death. I literally thought I was going to die. It took me a little bit longer to realize that he was in peril <laughs> yeah. than it took Jeff. Chris was back there doing this. He was just like making like generic race noises while he swam. And so I'm like <laughs> just struggling there thinking I'm going to die. And I hear Chris behind me going. Yeah. Did you have a premonition before this happened? Is the real question. Sadly. Patrick, we have a we have a shared uh all, like almost death story as well, a little brush with death from our trip to Traverse City that I just remembered. Wait, what was this? I don't even remember. The, the kayak? The rogue kayak. Oh yes. Oh dude, that's fine. Blew us off the fucking fuck. road. Yeah. Yeah, there was a car in front of us as we were driving up to Traverse City that had three kayaks loaded onto one of those roof racks that as far as I know, it's generally only designed to hold two kayaks, but the middle yes. one came loose and just flew off into the road. And uh, Stephen was driving and uh, <laughs> did a fantastic job of just calmly maneuvering around this thing. I don't know that I thought I was going to die, but I mean, I've been in a number of like pretty serious car accidents before. And I just thought like, man, this trip's over. Like that thing's going to get lodged under the wheels. We're going to you know, maybe get kinks in our necks or something, wind up in the ditch and we avoided it, but it felt like an eternity of like me just like staring this fucking inanimate object down, trying to predict its next move and alter my speed and steering to avoid it. And I think we did at the very last minute, it just kind of coasted off into the ditch and we moved on. Yeah, dude, it did feel like you were just going toe to toe with death in that moment and just saying, Fuck no, bitch. It was, I, there was a weird, like almost <laughs> telekinetic nature to the way that kayak sort of meandered into the middle of the road and then slowly slunk off into the ditch as though it was like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to one. And this was at very high speed. I mean, we were on like a country highway doing like 75 probably. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that thing was going just as fast, if not faster, because it like had the wind gust propelling it as it flew off the top of the car in front of us. Yeah. Scary shit. Mm. Do you have one, Chris? Amazing. Um, I, I really, I'm probably forgetting something obvious, but I don't really i have a similar kind of brush with drowning that happened in the middle school pool where we were like doing canoeing class and the canoe tipped over and like every time i tried to get back to the surface like a kid who was treading water would just kick me back down and like i had a premonition of i I had a vision of me like getting recovered from the water and i was like oh that's the next thing i'm gonna see um but i don't know i like that was probably the one time i was like i thought I was in real danger. In retrospect, there was something when I was a kid, I was at a camp with my class and we were on this boardwalk over this really boggy like marsh and we were trying to find swamp life and there wasn't much at the surface, but some kids found out that they took big sticks and put it down into the muck off the boardwalk and pulled them out that there would be little like worms and shit on the stick in Mm. the, in the mud. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. So I got big stick and I went off and pushed it, off of the boardwalk and it was like really thick muck and it was really hard to drive the stick down there so i put like all my weight over the off the edge of the boardwalk onto this stick and then the stick broke and the next thing i saw was 
I was facing the boardwalk, like next to the stick. So I must have gone head over heels, like complete. I don't know how I ended up. So I was looking back at the boardwalk, but like I could have just as easily landed with my head down in the muck or gotten impaled on the broken stick. And this muck was hard to get out of. Like I had to have assistance getting out of it. And like I lost a boot. <laughs> so wow. I, I, I could have got final destination for sure. Wow. As a, as a child. I want to add to that one last thing. I, I actually was just recounting this story with a friend last night, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I encountered quicksand once in my life and almost saw a friend get completely submerged in it. Oh, my and God. That was fucking terrible. This was in Monroe. <laughs> in what? a cornfield. Where's the quicksand patch in Monroe? <laughs> it's, and it's very small. It's like, a you know, about the size Are that there a human piranhas in fall Monroe into. Too? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Um, but that was terrifying. I felt Amazing. like that might have been his final destination moment. Don't know if he's still alive or not, wow. but we did manage to pull him out. It took three or four of us. <laughs> wow. Thank God. Well, now that we've all recounted our final destination moments, I guess it's time to reach the final destination in our final destination journey, Final Destination 5. Yes, and it, it, let's we note that we I don't think we even mentioned this while talking about the previous movie. The previous movie was called The Final Destination, which indicates some kind of finality to the franchise. Yeah. Uh and yet here we are again, uh bigger and bolder than ever with Chris. I, I'm assuming you know this, but Stephen Quayle, a longtime second unit director for James mm-hmm. Cameron, was brought in to direct oh, this really? thing. Second unit director and on Titanic. I feel like you can tell. I mean, this this um, this has got big second unit director energy to it. Yeah, and then the production values are higher than probably the rest of the series. Agreed. Um, I would have to see because I did notice that this was this was also released in 3D, right? Yes. Yes, but the maturity of the 3D in this movie, yeah. I mean, having only seen it in 2D, seems a little far superior to the last movie. So I'm wondering if oh, this yeah. was a second unit director that learned some things from James Cameron about 3D and how it's actually supposed to be used and how it's not just for throwing CG entrails at your face. Oh, um, I'm sure. Because uh, I mean, he worked on special- Aliens of the Deep and like all of his like IMAX movies. Like I think oh, he knows yeah. what's going on. Much as I hate to admit it and throw James Cameron a bone, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The the opening sequence is pretty gripping and uses 3D and, as Chris said, uh, pretty mature ways in the sense that it's not always trying to throw things directly at your face. It's trying to show you depth uh, beyond. It, it's used in a way that grounds you in the set piece in, in yeah. a in a in a very. Um, God, I'm I'm losing my words as well. I I did feel like I could sense that I was in this space on this bridge in the opening sort of death dream sequence in this movie with these characters. There's a lot going on with the 3D that even emphasizes like little background details to give you a sense of depth. Well, yeah, there are. So, I mean, we should send up a little bit. A, a, a group of coworkers are on a big tour bus. They're going on a company retreat. They're driving across a bridge and the bridge starts to crumble. And sort of the the shot that stuck in my mind is at one point, there's just a, a big chunk of the bridge has fallen out and the camera uh, kind of pivots forward and shows you just a look down at the water through this hole in the bridge, looking at the water yeah. below. And it's fairly chilling. And it really stuck out to me because it actually made me think, 
wow, I wish I could see this in 3D, which I can't say I've ever thought about any other movie ever because I fucking hate 3D. It's annoying. It's gimmicky. And this I was actually like, wow, that's a chilling shot. And I bet it would be even more striking if I had that added illusion of, of depth. Well, these are gimmicky movies, so like it's it's it is it does feel to me like in a way to be kind of the perfect candidate for a movie that like if I had a 3D TV, I'd want to get this on Blu-ray um, mm-hmm. only for that opening sequence. I don't know about yes. the rest of the movie. Yeah, the but... rest of the movie I don't think would really benefit much from 3D. The opening sequence for sure. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Director Stephen Quayle um, was a second unit director on Avatar and says he borrowed the technology from Avatar for Final Destination 5. Interesting. Well, if we're talking so about... don't the... say James Cameron never did anything for it. <laughs> well, like well, what technology? Because... Like, is it like the, I mean, it's not the mocap technology, the, but like, what did the, James Cameron the, develop for The that? Link's dead, but the, there was a, there was a new camera system for 3D, I think, that they developed for Avatar. I okay. don't know the details off the top of my head. Well, if we're talking about the creative team on this movie, we should also note that it is from the writer of the remakes of Nightmare on Elm Street, The Thing, and the Amon classic, Bird Box. Oh, so this is a this is a Platinum Dunes production then. <laughs> it's uh it's quite a resume. It's quite a resume. That's Incredible. something. Wow. Well, this is certainly uh probably the most polished entry in the Final Destination series. Um Weirdly. You could I could I can understand people making an argument that this is the best one. I didn't think so personally, but um you know, you could do a lot worse in this franchise. You could do yeah, a lot you know, worse. I mean, one thing you can't polish out of these movies, though, is the racism that pops up <laughs> in these last two chapters. Oh, God. Right. We'll get into it later, but uh, there's some rough edges around this otherwise, like, pretty slick package. And also, being a more modern uh Final Destination movie, I was struck by the digital color grading, especially in the early scene. I don't know if anyone gives a fuck about digital color grading other than me. Okay, I don't know if this is something our listeners want to hear when they tune into the I was going to say, podcast. I don't know if anyone gives a fuck about digital color grading other than you two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we jump off from there. We got, we've got this great set piece on the bridge, and then what ensues is a series of, like, I don't think I really related to any other set piece in this movie not that even related to the inciting incident at all i mean this movie has some spa foo it's got some gymnasium foo it's got some lasik foo (laughs) i mean i didn't relate place i didn't relate in the sense of like having necessarily feared these things but uh i think this has some of the best death scenes in the franchise this gymnastic sequence is absolutely horrifying it has great uh use of that tension and release that i keep talking about there's a fucking screw that lands on a balance beam pointing end up and you're just waiting for a gymnast to finally step on it for what feels like forever uh the the resolution to that sequence is (laughs) horrifying and so gruesome and over the top in the way this girl's back just gets broken and her legs wrapped around her head backwards um, I absolutely love that sequence. It might be my favorite in the franchise. I can't say enough good things about that. It's it's just the perfect example, again, of you're being drawn in to try to put the puzzle together before death does and try to guess what's going to happen to this gymnast. Yeah. And the ultimate fate of the gymnast is is so much less complex 
than you were expecting yeah. in yes. a hilarious way. <laughs> That's top five for me. There's, you know, a good several minutes of setup where you're wondering how she's going to die. And that's kind of classic Final Destination. That's the prototypical Final Destination entertainment that I'm looking for. It's true. Yeah. Okay, that's true. But, like, the way that she actually dies is that, I mean, one, there's, like, a lot of distractions going on. But, like, she, like she makes a false move herself that ends up with her winding up dead. I don't think we'd seen that before in the franchise. I, like, yeah, I would disagree well, with that. She gets distracted because a bunch of uh, like chalk or, or uh, kind of dust flies. Yeah, in a bunch her of face. chalk dust flies in her face and throws throws her off. And the, sure, no, I, I get that it throws her off, but like it's interesting that she sort of like I don't know in in some ways like her death doesn't feel like quite as linked to death's machinations as a lot of the other deaths in these movies. Yeah, I see what uh, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. interesting. It was surprising. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a really fun sequence you know as ridiculous as it is and that final the scene where she hits the floor is absolutely horrifying another image that's just going to be burned into my brain i was also really struck by the lasik sequence because i you know i mean i wear glasses i've occasionally thought about getting lasik there are some fucking horror stories out there already about lasik and ah man yeah not that i I, 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 I think the horror stories I'd already read were enough to turn me off that possibility. But this LASIK scene probably is the clincher where I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, me too. I like this is the one the one takeaway from this franchise, like the one sort of everyday fear that this movie kind of like emboldened within me was the LASIK scene. As, again, as ridiculous as it is, it was like, yeah, I've been kind of toying with it. I've never been serious about it. No, just not going to do it because like any number of things could go wrong and I could end up having like a fucking laser blast through my head. I don't know. I have anxieties about getting LASIK, but the depiction in this movie was so far removed from what my anxieties are that it just was comical to me and didn't really make me feel anything i don't know how they do lasik but i just imagine being in the in the chair and it's like you're feeling something very uncomfortable in your eye and if you move your eye or you blink it just like cuts into your eye so like okay this is all right so it's not quite final destination level in the sense that i thought i was gonna die but i actually have an experience sort of with this exactly i had this what uh they call it a uh what is it a recurrent corneal abrasion where Something on your uh, eyeball gets scratched and a scar forms repeatedly on your eye. And each morning when you open your eye, the scar gets ripped off. It's very painful. I had a lot of eye pain for months because of this. And I had two different operations where uh, the solution to this problem is uh, they basically go into your eye with a diamond-tipped blade, basically, and they basically the idea the only thing hard enough to cut your eye eye. yeah (laughs) no it's actually diamond 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 is involved in the tool that they use and they basically scrape your eye up more the idea is that they create more of more of a wound so that it will heal a new kind of scar and heal permanently i had two different operations where i was just sitting there totally awake and watching this thing go into my eye and scrape up my eye so i i relate to this scene on a on a deep level is what i'm saying mm. patrick you have uh, we've talked about two stories involving near death involving you and either me or chris 
you've had so many strange um, health problems. I think quarantine <laughs> quarantine might be the way to go for our friendship from here on out. I'm getting a little spooked. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just uh, it's just I Zoom feel like for just us like hanging out with on, you buddy. is just flirting with death and discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So uh, let's also talk about the acupuncture scene. Uh, because who, as Steven said, it's the return of this just kind of gratuitous racism. There's this douchebag character in the in the grand tradition of Todd and Frankie Cheeks, who uh, is just a ladies' man. He's constantly being a dick to all these women he slept with and forgetting like their names and all this shit. He goes to a, a spa that's run by Asian folks and is just uh, constantly making racist comments to them and ends up dying by having a bunch of acupuncture needles shoved into him when he falls off the acupuncture table well actually no that's not what causes that's not his how eventual he dies death. his eventual <laughs> death think is caused <laughs> by a giant buddha statue falling on his head and crushing his head which i have to say i laughed at i enjoyed that uh capper to the scene well because yeah, like his but... character is so shitty i mean he's terrible to women including one of our you know, sort of main characters from the beginning. He also, we should note, like he looked. I mean, Google Craig Finn, and that's basically who we've who we've oh, got dude, here yeah. playing this yeah. character. Well, I, I read but him like, as a as a satire or a, or a, a spoof of the uh, Verizon guy. Yes, absolutely. Because there's because, even the joke because about he's the cell always phone. on his phone. Yeah. Oh, oh, and also, oh my God, I don't. I don't know if I should say this yet, but I'm going to. I was, like, really alarmed. So this came out in 2011. I was like, that's an old-looking cell phone, and he's the only character in this movie that has a cell phone. This is strange to me somehow. Ah, it's going to pay mm, off. It's going to mm. pay off when we talk about the end. But, yeah, it felt and like... And boy, I actually, does it. I, oh, yeah. Um, I, I thought maybe it was the Verizon guy for a minute. But, you know, it's it's something that, again, like, this, these, this series, like, attempts at humor are so strange to me because it's clear that we're supposed to think this guy is a douchebag but he's just so cartoonish i mean he even he's so racist that he even like insults the buddha statue by saying lay off the rice cakes which of course the payoff to that is the fat buddha statue crushes his head um i was happy to see him die but i was not happy with like how much bullshit i had to deal with from this motherfucker and he was the first to yeah. die in the death dream i think so like, and and frank uh, frankly i wasn't sure if you know th the whole setup kind of felt racist to me too you know yes <laughs> like like we're like it's a it's a it's a, we're doing caricatures of of chinese medicine and acupuncture and you know it's a little sacrilegious to have a, a buddha killing the guy uh i don't know it, no, it was just all obnoxious to me the character was obnoxious the setup was obnoxious the it felt like you know, it felt like depictions it, were obnoxious it felt like to me this whole sequence it felt like an episode of the tales from the crypt tv series condensed like that is the kind of humor they would go with. It's the kind of character and the kind of like campy, yeah, just sort of the campy humor that would be employed in one of those series. You know, you're dealing with a guy who you know is a douchebag from the beginning. He's also a racist. He's horribly sexist. He treats women terribly. 
somehow, even though he's very unattractive in pretty much every way, not just physically, but his personality, um, it, it, it could have worked as a, as a lesser Tales from the Crypt episode. I was really frustrated with how much time we had to spend with this motherfucker in this movie. Like, I feel like not just with him, but the death sequences in this movie drag on way longer than they do in other entries where they're like trying to build in superficial character stuff during the lead up to their death. And I, I can appreciate that motive. It just really doesn't work with the characters that we're here to deal with. So I, I guess I disagree somewhat with uh, what you seem to be saying about the characters. I actually thought, um, I you know, th- this movie doesn't win any awards for me as far as, like, having my favorite characters of, of the franchise in it. You know, that's still clear, and probably also Wendy from Final Destination 3. But I thought this had the most well-rounded set of characters in it, where I actually knew who each of them were and cared about more characters than in any other installment. Yeah, I knew what we were working with. It just felt a little bit tedious to me because then at the end of the day, I can't say I really cared for any of them. I mean, I think like maybe the most sympathetic character is uh, the um, the the you know boyfriend partner of the gymnast. You know, like he seems like a pretty a pretty solid what? guy from the beginning. Well, no, obviously what? he turns he turns evil. But like Dude, from the he's beginning, a douchebag to her in the very first scene, he's like fucking sleeping with his intern. That guy, that guy is a dick. Yeah, he's not like great. He's not a great guy by any means. But like, he feels like the most human of all of these characters in an odd way. He experiences a very deep and perplexing sense of grief after his girlfriend dies during her routine, and it really like gnaws at him in a way that I initially found to be like one of the most relatable human reactions to a death in this entire series. Of course, eventually that is taken way the fuck over the top, but I really appreciated the movie actually took the time to like take this guy who, yeah, he's kind of a cad. He's not a cad without a soul, but it, it kind of, it gave him, gave that character some time to breathe and like actually react and grieve in a realistic way, you know, for this franchise to, to one of the absurd deaths and i i don't know that i've really seen that elsewhere in this franchise that was all too short-lived though because you know we'll get into it but eventually he becomes kind of a comic book super villain (laughs) he becomes james franco in (laughs) spider-man yeah i i just all i could see was tom cruise and i just wanted to watch mission impossible 3 instead of this movie that's a good movie I was just surprised by the degree to which I actually cared what happened to a number of these characters as the movie went on Hmm. and wild. And again, it's kind of an amusing indicator of, you know, just grading against the curve for this franchise. It's like, wow, there were four whole characters that I cared about. But (laughs) it's an accomplishment. But but where does where does that care get you in the end? I I followed it through. It, It brought me through the movie. I guess it did get me somewhere. Yeah, but I'm talking about, you know, the, the end, end, uh, the end. Twist, twist ending. Dude, there's love a, there's, this there's ending. A... It uh, came out of nowhere right. for me. They started to board the plane. I, so, I mean, the twist is this movie is a prequel to the entire series. When uh, Steven referenced Craig Finn's uh, outdated looking phone, it's because 
the movie takes place before Final Destination 1, and it ends with our two protagonists getting on the plane that crashes in the original Final Destination 1, which I found fairly clever and I guess sort of high concept in like a Christopher Nolan sort of way, uh, especially in the context of this franchise. I was just like, all right, I appreciate that you went there. I well, ugh. it was a good twist. As a fan of the Saw franchise, I can appreciate um, well, yeah, you know, a, a, this kind of twist. Uh, Saw did this more than once. Um, <laughs> but again, uh, you know, I just feel um, insulted a little bit when it's like, oh, I actually kind of cared about these characters, and you're just trying to show me what an idiot I was for doing so. Uh, what I would do if I were to rewrite the movie is. Have have it be exactly what what you see you see the plane crash on the plane crash you still get the clever twist but it turns out to be another premonition that our hero was having at the same time as devon sawa in the original movie no. and maybe they decide not to board the plane but maybe they're still cursed no again that's 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 me that's me saying have your dark ending but 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 you know we don't need to see a you know our hero's face getting burned off at the end yeah that that, that doesn't really turn that's the dial so for me convoluted. If, if it had just ended with our heroes uh getting killed on the plane i wouldn't have been thrilled about it but i kind of like the the sick final joke that the one character who we think has escaped death uh, turns out that he actually had, I, I forget what it is, a heart condition or something where he was going to die soon anyways, so death already had it in for him. And then a big piece of the fucking engine from the plane drops on him in the bar, and that's the end of the movie. I I was in. That'd it. be great if we knew, okay, if it, like, I'm okay with this ending, even, because all these movies end with a stupid fucking fake out of some kind. I like mm-hmm. that read, Patrick. I like that ending better if, because like as soon as I saw the plane, and you know, we know from the beginning, though I didn't catch on to it, you know, in relation to the first movie, that our one of our protagonists has a job offer to work at a restaurant in, in Paris, and that mm-hmm. he finally decides to go. If we saw the plane, we saw him and his girlfriend get on, and then we saw the sequence that we see with the the general manager of the factory and the engine coming down, like, that's enough for me. That's actually a pretty clever way to frame what is otherwise a terribly ridiculous ending. Mm. Yeah, this honestly is probably my favorite ending of the franchise because too many of the other ones are just big WTFs for me and this one actually feels clever and like it has some degree of a master plan and isn't just trying to do some weird last minute rug pull I mean it's still a rug pull but at least I know I understand what the fuck has actually happened you know, maybe it's baked in there somewhere and I didn't notice, but I kind of wish, you know, like we've talked a lot about clues in these movies. I kind of wish there had been more clues along the way that this wasn't taking place in present day and that it was somehow linked to that initial incident. That could have been kind of yeah. fun. But we haven't talked about the real ending yeah. of this movie, which is the fucking clip show that we <laughs> get as soon as this ends. Dude, of honestly, all of the amazing. Oh my god! I almost had to walk away. So we, you know, we end with Final Destination five on the screen, but then it starts counting back five, four, three, two, one, and then we get like a clip show that's like framed within a frame. The greatest hits, sure, the greatest hits of Final Destination. It's totally great. unnecessary. I loved yep. it. 
I, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a lean movie. You know, it had to give you some more bang for your buck in the end. The only complaint I can make about this movie is that the deaths do kind of like tail off as it goes along. You know, there's the gymnastic scene, there's the acupuncture, there's the LASIK, which we've all talked about. And then like David Kochner just like takes a wrench to the face. There's this kitchen fight scene, which I, I like the way they set up all the many things that could kill people in the kitchen. That's, you know, again, some nice uh, tension set up, but it's fairly pedestrian the way that all plays yeah. out in the end. I was hoping for a little bit more Rube Goldberg death kind of stuff going on concurrently with Tom Cruise trying to kill our heroes. Yeah. Well, they set up the gun that that Tom Cruise is using. You know, it gets dropped onto a yeah. uh, dropped onto a um, a stovetop, and it's gradually getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And you know, I so I'm I, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Right, and I kind of wish it would have just taken the 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 kind of track of these of the other movies in the series, and just like, yeah, it finally goes off and it kills one of the two to escape or hell maybe it kills all three of them if they're all going to die in the next scene anyway that would have been more satisfying for if me. the bullet just goes through all three of their heads <laughs> or or not the, just the bullet but a series of things that involves everything in the kitchen and all three of them die oh yeah knives and you know like you know shish kebab skewers and all the other yeah. shit that they're playing with that would have been great can't have everything <laughs> have everything do we want to review it yeah yes. might as well i'll give it a cue it this is a lot of fun. Like, I mean, especially if we're, you know, looking at this in the scope of the entire franchise, like this is, you know, in many ways, even just down to like production design, directing, I think the actors are, are pretty good for the most part. The attempts at humor that I've mostly found to be kind of bizarre and uncomfortable actually sometimes pay off in this movie. It's kind of a great encapsulation of every of kind of all the rules of the franchise while also introducing a new aspect which is a character actually deciding that he would rather like murder someone else to escape death's path. I don't know if I was like fully satisfied with how that played out, but I liked that idea was that that idea was finally introduced into the franchise. Um, so lots of surprises for, for those who think they've seen it all with the Final Destination franchise. Give it a cue it. Patrick? Um, yeah, it's a view it for me. I had a lot of fun with this one. Some good deaths. Characters I actually cared about for once. Highest production value of the franchise. And yeah, as you mentioned, Stephen, it kind of tweaks the formula in some ways that are actually interesting it dispenses with the whole tracking down clues, that whole bullshit. Brings yeah. Tony Todd back, who we failed to mention uh, is absent for Final Destination 4, but he's back. Mm-hmm. Cooler than fucking ever. Very enjoyable. Love the ending. Even love the clip show. I, I mean, surprisingly <laughs> good capper to this whole experience. Because by the time you get to number five, it's like, oh, this is going to be garbage. But nicely done. Chris, what did you think Chris. of it? Um, I'll give it a cue. It. Uh, it wasn't great. I, like I said, I, I think I, I understand why people like it. It's certainly very polished. It gives you a little bit of everything. Uh, it has some of the best death sequences in the movie in the in the franchise. I don't know, and it, it kind of petered out towards the end. But I, you know, I think whether you have watched the franchise or if it's your first time going into the you know, if you have to just watch one Final Destination movie, uh, you could do worse. I'll, I'll give it a cue. It well, guys, we've done it. We've talked about all five Final Destination movies, reviewed them it's all. It's over. It's almost over. I want to ask, lastly, if you guys would care to rank the the franchise just in order. What which is your favorite? And also, I'm wondering what's your favorite death. 
the franchise. I'm not into the death thing. I feel like there've been enough articles online about that over the years, but I will, I will rank these movies. Three is my favorite. I think five is a close second. And then we're going to go two, one, four. Yeah. Three, five, two, one, four. That sounds about right. I'm uh, I'm going to go three, one, five, two, four. I'm fascinated that three is so high on both y'all's lists. And um, deaths, I already mentioned my favorites. I like the gymnast scene, I like the car wash scene, and I like the teacher in the first movie. Yeah. Oh, the teacher's got to be my favorite. Yeah. So you do have a favorite death, Stephen. <laughs> I do have a favorite death. I just didn't know if I wanted to like spend too much time talking about that because it seems sort of obvious when we're talking about this franchise. But Patrick, yeah, rank gonna, it. Give us your favorite death. We're going to be snappy with it. My, my favorite's five, one, two, three, four. And favorite death, I think I got to go three-way tie between the the spaghetti slip, the uh, dentist office, and the uh, scene. Fantastic! Well, that's another franchise in the books for the old Amon cast. Man. Good job, you guys. We got to have another quarantine sometime soon so we can review uh, fucking I don't know some other franchise even horrifyingly longer than the two we've already done. Dabe, Dabe. Let's do all the Dabe movies. Yes. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, There's, uh, I think it's worth noting. Yeah, we've, uh, the, so long-time listeners may remember we reviewed Dabe, The Possession. Is that the subtitle yes. of Dabe? I already yep. forgot. Yeah. And there's uh, an iconic, I think we could describe it as, scene in which uh, an exorcist breaks a toilet curse or places a toilet curse. I forget. He excavates a toilet and brings a ton of just intestines and guts out of it. It's an amazing scene. We posted it on our Facebook and recently, a ton of uh, South Asian folks have been uh, finding, discovering this video and liking, commenting on it, sharing it, and uh, and liking our page as well. So welcome those folks to the Amon family. And we're <laughs> glad that uh, we brought you in with this bizarre-ass uh, sequence. Yeah, and thank God for Google Translate. Because it's like really cool to have people from all over the world come in and talk about this show. But I mean, the reality is sometimes they're starting their own threads, you know, and they're like posting this to their pages. And otherwise, I would have no idea what what they're actually talking about. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's delightful. So uh, what are we watching next? I have lost all track of whose turn it is to pick a film next because we've kind of gone uh, off the off our usual plan for a bit here well i think it's my turn unless someone wants to fight me for it no no one wants to fight (laughs) you for it what are we watching next chris well as much as i would love to watch every tremors movie on netflix because there's six of them (laughs) no um and as much as i would love to force you guys to watch resident evil apocalypse which is also on netflix and you should all watch on your own time um i think we're gonna watch a movie called death house okay have you heard of death house no tell us about it it's not too late to change your pick to resident evil apocalypse though so here's the synopsis that's on netflix it says two federal agents battle through an army of rioting prisoners and their sense of reality inside a high-tech prison modeled after dante's inferno oh my god that sounds amazing (laughs) and would you like to know the cast of death house hit us with it we've got this is the avengers of b-movie horror we've got kane hodder our friend d wallace michael berryman 
Tony Todd, Adrian Barbeau, oh my God. Barbara Crampton, what? Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, Felissa Rose, what? Lloyd Kaufman, <laughs> and a whole shit. bunch of other people who I don't know who they are off the top of my head. <laughs> wow. All right. That's I mean, wild. All right. So next episode, we're going to watch Death House. Is that the title, Chris? Am I getting that right? Death House. Death yep. House. And in the meantime, you need to go to every horror movie on netflix.com click the merch store link go buy our t-shirt it looks sick you're gonna love it your friends are gonna love it and we're gonna love it because we'll make a little bit of money off of it and uh there'll be a little bit more amon love out there in the world to get people to watch this. if you like death's design you'll love patrick's design uh, for our t-shirt <laughs> it's a great t-shirt buy it review us please guys i think you can all agree that it's been fucking fantastic to actually have people coming out of the woodwork and giving us some feedback it's nice to know people are listening and it's good to hear from y'all and supposedly it helps our ratings somehow we also need you to go and subscribe to the podcast review it on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on your social media platforms at amoncast e-h-m-o-n-cast is that all our business? Cool. Do we need any? Do we that's need to it. tell people to do anything else? No, that's it. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks for watching the Final Destination series. If you watched along with us, um, as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And tune in in two weeks. We're going to be talking about Death House. Can't wait. Thanks everybody for joining us on this journey to Death's Design for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Stephen. And we will see you next. Watch your step out there. <laughs> you know what was really fucking sad I, is last night I got this calendar. Re- no, I'm sorry. Actually, it was Thursday night. I got a calendar reminder that Motor City Nightmares was supposed to be this weekend, and I got sad all over again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're never seeing that money. <laughs> <laughs>